Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. It's the political version of when I was playing games with my daughter when she was younger, and she's still, she's still very competitive, but when she's very young, we would play like a board game or something, and she'd be like five or six years old, and there'd be a point at which she'd just turn the board over and be like, fuck this, and like walk away. She's like, no, I don't like losing. This game is only fun when I win. And oh, that where is- did she get that from? I, I don't know because she's adopted. I haven't told her yet. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it in a couple couple years. Yeah. But she doesn't love the podcast. She's not into that stuff. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast this is your weekly rhetorical assault in the news cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves i'm camille foster i do various things at freethink at least when the country isn't over because of a radical conservative takeover of the courts and when that happens i turn to gentlemen who i trust in moments like this matt welch at her large reason magazine michael moynihan does some thing at vice news which occasionally takes him to texas where it's a billion degrees. I was 103. And he nearly died of a heat stroke. It was amazing. But he's made it. He's made it back home. How do you guys York. live there? It's horrible. <laughs> he's in a granddad <laughs> shirt or the shirt with the granddad collar, which I like. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah, much in like, favor of that. It's a nice it's a nice cut. Did you go and like uh, rat out your neighbors about abortions and stuff? Uh, oh, in Texas? Yeah. Yeah, I just re- I reported everybody <laughs> for living in a state that is just unlivable. It was like being on Mars. It was, un- oh, I mean, I'll tell you, Texans, before you, because some of, some of you guys emailed me because I mentioned on the the members only podcast on the Substack, which you should subscribe to because if you don't, you're a communist. Um, uh, like one of the Basilon sisters. <laughs> so Only one of them? them? They're rotating comics. But I accused, I accused, uh, I think it was Laura, right? That I accused of communism and she, she objected to that on Twitter. So I just wanted to like rub her nose in it again. But um, uh, no, I, 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 you, some of you guys emailed and said, hey, you're in Texas. And I was not, and if I haven't emailed you back, I was not, um, I was just on the move. I was on, it was, you know, Dallas is where I landed and then was driving. But uh, sorry um, that I didn't get to, to to see anybody, but I will say um, I will not denounce Texas because it's an amazing and lovely state, but it's just too fucking hot. So mm. I don't know how you guys live there. But yeah, but, but on to the fact that um, I came home and uh, there was a dead bird in my house and uh, abortion's no longer legal. In your house? Yeah, I left the sliding door open for a minute and the bird came <laughs> in and hit the window and then flew into the bathroom and died. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and I was like li- looking at my phone and I was like, oh, Roe v. Wade is overturned. And I looked on the floor and there was a dead bird. And I was like, oh, that's wow. a good omen. Yeah, yeah. that's not a good omen. <laughs> that's, not, that's not good at all. So, well, anyway. as, usually, as usually happens when Moynihan finds a dead bird in his house, uh, we are joined today. <laughs> <laughs> that is evening. one of the weirdest transitions <laughs> of all time. Get accurate. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but I like it. Um, we're joined by Damon Root. Uh, our very good friend from Reason, uh, Matt's Matt's co-conspirator there, um, who is going to help us navigate all of the goings on of the Supreme Court. And Damon, I don't know that I can remember a time when, obviously, I mean, Roe v. Wade being overturned is a pretty huge deal. But even before that, the court was exceptionally busy. It's a pretty wild time. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here in my Norman Bates room full of stuffed dead birds. Uh, yeah. It's Michael. <laughs> Wood paneling. And reading, you know, <laughs> furiously reading uh, Supreme Court opinions. It's been a crazy week. Guns, abortion, you know, back to back. That's that's not every that's not every day. 
Um, it's not over yet. There's still some other big ones, but uh, at this point, everybody's got 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 the decisions they're they're dreading or waiting for. What else is coming? Uh, there's a big case about the uh, the authority of the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, the, the when people talk about the administrative state, um, they're talking about uh, broadly worded federal statutes that federal regulatory agencies perhaps fill in the blanks. Uh, a fair bit and regulate. And so uh, environmentalists are very worried that a trimming back of EPA authority to interpret those laws is going to um, harm the uh, federal government's ability to tackle climate change. So that's that's actually a pretty, pretty big one. There'll be there'll be a lot of uh, controversy about that, too. Probably will come uh, recording what Friday will come Monday morning, most likely. Mm. Pity they, they couldn't save your jewel, Moynihan. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not smoking a jewel because long ago, the federal government who is running a terror campaign against a single company, <laughs> Jewel, for some unknown reason, because um, if you see kids that are huffing on vapes, now none of them are, are doing- uh, I never are, see uh, kids huffing on vapes. No, definitely vapes. What are you talking about? about? You would never see that. What are you um, talking but, about? But trust me, you're not taking any jewels uh, away from, there's no jewel contraband in your house, I assure you, right? Uh, let me go to my sock, but keep talking. No, I don't think there is. Because all that stuff, you know, they've ceded that to other people. So I changed because the government took away my beloved jewel. And I, there was, you know, you couldn't get that sort of minty, delicious flavor anymore. And uh, you have to go elsewhere. But now the the um, FDA has decided that jewel should no longer be a company. <laughs> we, but that's just, actually been challenged, right? That, that there's a, a court put a stay on that uh, late today. Oh, I, oh, did, I right? didn't. I yeah. didn't see that. I was, yeah. I was, uh, you know, deep in, deep in the row stuff. The newly emboldened uh, right wing court using Chevron deference to, uh, <laughs> I don't know if they did. They probably didn't uh, to put a stay on the FDA doing this. Wow, I'm just looking. I'm just pulling out the contraband that I've uh, collected. How here. much do you have? Um, I'll show you. I'll, uh, Can you just give us give us a visual? Uh, well, I, I this is this is I, stuff that I, Matt I, has I, taken I, off I, of his I, wife. I <laughs> <laughs> it's it you know, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, it's mostly one hitters. This is the first. Uh, I probably shouldn't do this. Is yeah, the, you shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because we can we can see it and they can't hear, so it's a little yeah. it's a little confusing. And by the way, don't don't keep that shit in your house if it's if it's contraband. Give it to me. I, okay. Why do you think I'm saving it? I don't see. All it. Right, You're not all right. always okay. over here. I'm just waiting for your next. Next time, time we record in person, let's yeah. let's. Do an exchange, like a secret Santa of contraband. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll have time to come back to talking about Juul and the FDA, but maybe we just get right into the court stuff. Um, there's abortion rights, guns, uh, Miranda rights, religion and schools and public monies. Oh, yeah. uh, I su suspect we should probably start with abortion rights. Maybe. I think that's probably about Outside right, of yeah. all of this stuff, my suspicion is, I, and I actually left my house last night about 11 o'clock at night to venture into D.C. so that I could drive around the Supreme Court and try to get a sense for just how things look. Um, and they do look pretty crazy. Like, this is weird to have the Supreme Court become like a fortress, yeah. a fortress surrounded by black fencing, armed police officers in every corner turning away traffic. What the hell happened today? Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Can you give us a, a pricey of, uh, of what took place today there, Damon? Well, the very quick version is the Mississippi law banned abortion at 15 weeks and under Roe v. Wade and then Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the two key abortion precedents, you can't do that. Uh, those, those prohibit abortion bans before viability. 
which is uh, in, the, in the 20s weeks. And so um, the court upheld that Mississippi ban and said Roe was wrong the day it's decided and it's and it's gone, gone for good now. So the, a constitutional right that has existed had been recognized by the court repeatedly and, and affirmed in all sorts of lower court cases since 73 is, is erased, eliminated. Uh, millions of people lost a constitutional right that they had this morning, that they had yesterday. Um, you know, just a, a watershed, um, watershed decision. Critics of Roe, the conservative critics of Roe have said that it was a case that disfigured the law and that they're sort of writing the balance. I think overturning Roe is going to disfigure the law and disfigure politics in a lot of bad ways, too. We're going to see some just we're going to see some real crazy shit happening in anti-abortion yeah. states. There's going to be, you know, attempts to criminalize and punish and ban women for, for crossing state lines to get abortions in states where it is legal. There's going to be going after um, abortion providers um, in the past. You know, that Texas bounty law, the $10,000 $10, for people who performed abortions. When that was at the Supreme Court, the uh, Kavanaugh was just Kavanaugh's questioning the Texas lawyer, or Texas, the lawyer from Texas. And he, he basically said, yeah, this would this would apply in the past, too. It's not just sort of ongoing things. Oh, so, you oh, know, Lord. certainly Roe v. Wade is is overturned. Now, I don't know if they'll if that, that's what will happen. But those, you know, the, all that kind of stuff is on the table. Um, and, and Damon, just to, to interject there on the Kavanaugh thing, because is, you know, both what you were saying with the Texas lawyer and, and something he wrote in, I guess, uh, he, he didn't write the decision, it was his concurrence, right? But, yeah. That, so what he wrote, which I thought, thought was kind of interesting, and you know this stuff very well, and I don't, is it rare that somebody would chime in and say, as Justice Kavanaugh did, that he didn't believe that crossing state lines was something that one could punish. And he wrote that in a decision that had not, did, you know, was not addressing that issue, but he was addressing some other things further down the line. Is that, is that rare? Well, was, he, Kavanaugh actually did that twice. He did that in the New York gun case the day before also, mm -hmm. where he spelled out that like, look, this doesn't upset all of these other, you know, gun control regulations and lots of them are presumptively constitutional. You know, wh one of the things he's doing there, I think, is that um, there's going to be all this future litigation. There's going to be all these other cases. And so he's writing this concurrence. It tells lower court judges, it tells lawyers, this is what at least one Supreme Court justice thinks. So they're going to start, they're going to be citing him. They're going to be grappling with those arguments. So it, it kind of puts a marker out. It's it's a little unusual. It's not unheard of. I mean, uh, there's there's a, sometimes a majority opinion will sort of set up, tee up some future cases. Say we're not Got addressing it. these things, but in the right case, we will. Uh, yeah. ju justices do that in dissent all the time too. It's like, well, we really should, sure. you, know, you know, next time around. And one of the things I was wondering is if that was a kind of subtle rebuke to Justice Thomas because he also said, as and Thomas took the kind of opposite position. Um, he said, you know, this doesn't affect things like gay rights. This will not affect things. And I can't remember the exact uh, phrasing. I've been reading so much about this uh, today. But it seemed like, you know, Justice Thomas said, said quite the opposite, is that te this tees up things for, you know, challenges to these other, these other things like uh, gay marriage. So what the, what the court says in the abortion case is that there is this precedent called Washington against Glucksburg. And that's what they use to recognize if a right is fundamental. And if a right is fundamental... Under the court's telling, then it gets all these great protections. And if a right's not fundamental, if it's lower than that, then we really don't have to respect it at all, even if you know maybe it's existed before or something. Um, that that's all done under something called substantive due process. Thomas thinks substantive due process uh, is it, it is unconstitutional, shouldn't exist, is a bad thing. So he's against that approach that the majority took. It takes him to the same place, which is that there's no right to abortion. So he writes this concurrence, repeating his longstanding beef against substantive due process. 
Um, and then, but, but substantive process is the is is what is how the gay marriage case is decided. It's how the right to privacy case um, is decided, which is which sets up Roe. It's um, what gay rights, uh, Lawrence versus Texas. So it's all all of these kind of landmark decisions are all done through. Loving depends on that as well. Loving, yeah, loving has an equal protection component also to it, um, but. Um, these are all the, the substantive due processes that the, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment says no state shall make, uh, shall deprive any person of life, liberty or property without due process. And the court has said that that that, that can get at the substance of a law, not just the procedure. And Thomas says it's just a procedural right. It's like as long as, you know, the legislator voted on it and blah, 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 and the procedure has been followed, then then due process is satisfied. And substantive due process is this idea that the due process clause can get at the substance of the law. And so this is a this is a kind of a hot uh, legal debate, and Thomas is on this one side of it. Uh, in the, in his majority opinion, Alito says, "Look, nothing in this opinion should should cast any. We're, you know, we're not challenging privacy and gay marriage and all those things. But I have to say that the logic of his opinion absolutely challenges all of those things, and which is something that Breyer says in his dissent, and I think that's correct. Alito sort of waves his hand and says, it, "It doesn't it doesn't affect those things." But right. that's not a principled application of a legal rule. That's not principled judging, just sort of waving your hand and asserting, oh, don't worry about these things. Uh, abortion is different. The, the Glucksberg test, which is that a right has to be deeply rooted in American history uh, or um, uh, 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 necessary to the, the concept of ordered liberty. You know, uh, the right to interracial marriage is not deeply rooted in American history when Loving's decided. The right to gay marriage is not deeply rooted in American history when gay marriage, when Obergefell has decided. The right to privacy, you can make an argument, is deeply rooted, but the court hadn't recognized something like that before. So all of those precedents that Alito is saying, oh, they don't worry about them, like they, they are actually at risk under the, the logic of his decision, which is something that the dissent says. And so what Thomas says in this concurrence is that, well, we shouldn't be doing that whole substance due process approach because all those cases are wrongly decided. So just get rid of all of them. Um, we should revisit all of them uh, and look at it under a different standard. So you have these kind of two cons different kind of legal conservative views. The, the view that the majority took is the more... Um, it's not moderate, but what it is, is it says, look, we've got all of these precedents we don't like, but Washington against Glucksburg, this case that's cooked up by Rehnquist and Scalia in the 90s, is a way to cabin the court from recognizing un unenumerated rights in future cases. And if we ever get the chance, we can use that precedent against Roe v. Wade. That was a very long, you know, long fuse on that bomb, but it went off today. And that was, you know, that was sort of a posthumous Scalia Rehnquist uh, a win, because that, that's what that case was designed to do, was to basically say, actually, unenumerated rights, no, no, very, very, very low on the, on, the, on, the, on the totem pole of importance, in fact, probably shouldn't be recognized at all by the courts, because we create this totally arbitrary, judicially invented test that makes it, as long as we put the thumb on the scales the way we want, we can eliminate all unenumerated rights. Damien, is there a sense in which the conservative legal movement today uh, is the dog that caught the car? Like they've been talking about this shit for a really long time. As you just pointed out, they planted this bomb a long time ago. Um, and on the political right that supports the conservative legal movement and Mitch McConnell, you know, approving every judge and doing this and that and the other. This is that presumably has been the biggest goal out there, right? There's there's some people uh, crowing like, you know, basically we won in a big way. Um I'm wondering both um, maybe I you know we can all speak to the politics of it, but from a legal standpoint, like they got the car and they're like, oh shit, 
like maybe haven't really thought through what happens next because I my presumption is that one of the things that happens next is that a lot of, we're going to see nothing but stories about women having miscarriages and being hauled off to prison. It's right. going to be fucking ugly for a while now. Um, and also, I presume that there's also legal implications of following this logic, including you know Clarence Thomas saying this, and I think it was Robert George who, who pointed out that uh, Thomas's um, concurrence is just a gift to Democrats. This is what Democrats will run on. And suddenly, mm -hmm. uh, they've uh, I, I think, uh, to some degree, they've gone from having a completely unwinnable hand in the midterms in November to having a plausible story that they can tell in every podunk election and saying, hey, look, your state crazy legislator in Texas, to name a state that has crazy platforms and always have uh, the GOP mm -hmm. platforms, like something that matters because they make the rules about this thing and they're going to do something really, really fucking crazy right now because the conservative legal movement won. If you go back to Robert Bork and his writings on the right to privacy, right to abortion, he, all, these, he thinks these cases are all wrongly decided. Uh, they are disfigure the Constitution, their judicial activism, and he ra was railing against them, you know, in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And that has been a, a guiding principle for a certain breed of legal conservative. I've been arguing with those legal conservatives uh, for a long time about this stuff because um, I think they're really wrong about unenumerated rights. Um, you know, it just just for the sort of libertarians out there, the Lochner case, the famous um, uh, economic liberty case from 1905, that case gets attacked by Alito in the abortion case because conservatives have always, you know, these, this kind of Bork, Scalia, Alito conservative has always said, well, Lochner, that's just as bad as Roe. These, this is judges making up rights that aren't in the Constitution. Where does the Constitution say these things, you know? It, totally ignoring the Ninth Amendment, by the way, which, which says, you know, that there are unenumerated rights and they get the same respect as enumerated rights. But uh, the, it, certainly this is a, a long-term project. I think Thomas shows kind of that, like, it's not supposed to stop here because we're supposed to gut this whole edifice of judicial activism, of making up rights, the rights that aren't in the Constitution, like the right to privacy, the right to gay marriage, all this stuff. Um, you know, Alito dissented in those cases. I mean, the, this idea that Alito has in his opinion that well, this shouldn't, don't worry about, you know, the gay marriage uh, uh, president. That's just fine. Read Alito's dissent in that case from just a few years ago. He says that there's no way this is in the Constitution. This is totally falls under Glucksburg. He's applying that 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 same framework that he used today. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's there's I think there's there's in a sort of a, a legal sense, there's there's if you're if you think some of those those precedents are good or that the judicial recognition of some of those unenumerated rights is a good thing. There's there's some reason to worry that at the at a minimum, all sorts of um, lawyers, uh, activist groups are going to are going to be mounting challenges. They're going to use the Thomas concurrence as a like invitation because that's what it is. Thomas has a long, very successful history of writing often dissents, but also concurrences, where he basically invites future cases. He pretty much called for uh, the gun case, Heller. He pretty much called for Citizens United. You can go back and, and see this stuff. He, he has been, you know, he is going to go down as one of the most important Supreme Court justices in history. He's, there, there's, you know, there are justices who write these important opinions because they're kind of at the right place at the right time. And so they matter. And then there are these justices who actually shape the law in, in their preferred direction, they do it over a long period of time. They usually start off on the losing side, and they and they um, and it grows over time. And Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes did that. Justice Stephen Field did that. And I think I think Thomas is for better and worse because I agree with him on some things for sure, but I definitely disagree with him on others. Uh, is sort of emerging as one of those, and he's you know he's not he's not done yet. Um, and and uh, 
politicians, lawyers, lower court judges all, all, all listen to them. Yeah, Damon, you know, it's it's funny because the, the result of this is, you know, in my own personal opinion, just my personal opinion, not a legal opinion, obviously, is not something that I'm happy with. I'll just put it that way. And we don't talk about this issue very much in the show. It's not something that animates me, but I'm not pleased with this result. But I have friends, many of whom have decided to take uh, to every social media platform today, which I, I advise people not to open up Instagram in particular, because there's all sorts of lazy and dumb quotes that people are popping up. And they're making a legal argument, but I know they don't know much about the legal argument. They are where I'm coming from, which is an instinctual thing that this is not a good result. Now, I get a sense, a little bit of a sense of where you're coming at this, but what do you think of this as a legal argument? Because you know, it's often said by conservatives that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, among others, uh, thought that Roe was constitutionally very messy, uh, if not poorly decided in the, some of the more extreme cases. And that's people both on the left and the right, mostly on the right. They make that legal argument. What is the legal argument here that you see? Do you see that regardless of what you think of it, is it reasoned in a way that you say, well, actually, disagree, but but it's well done and it makes some measure of sense. So at the, at the heart of Alito, Alito's case against the right to abortion is that abortion does not, the right to abortion does not appear in the constitution. It's not mentioned there. Um, and so you, you start with that and that's, and that's, that's kind of a, that's a common conservative argument against abortion yeah. or that it's, that's right at the center of it. So that, that, mindset, that approach is at odds with constitutional text and history. It's at odds with the Ninth Amendment, which James Madison put in the Constitution. So the, the, you remember when the Constitution is first um, ratified, the, the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, they're not there. They come a few years later. They come about because the anti-federalists, the group that, that were opposed to the Constitution, said, well, it doesn't have a Bill of Rights. And if you leave these rights unmentioned, they'll be unprotected. And the Federalists who supported the Constitution, they said, well, wait a minute, if you list some rights, you're going to leave some out, and then any ones you leave out, it's just going to be assumed that we don't have them, and then the government gets all that power. Yeah. James Madison watches this debate, and he says, well, I have, and he, and he introduces the Bill of Rights in Congress in a speech, and he says, I have the answer, and it's the Ninth Amendment. The enumeration of certain rights should not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So for me, the question, if you're an originalist, and these conservatives all purport to be originalists, you're an originalist. You you have to answer the question: Is 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 a right to abortion fall within the orbit of a right retained by the people that the Ninth Amendment protects? So you look at the founding, and you see that at the founding, abortion up until the quickening, which is when fetal movement is felt by the woman inside her body, abortion is legal up until the quickening in every state, and at, at, at the time of the founding, that's because it was legal up until the quickening under English common law. You can read William Blackstone, 1765, Commentaries on the Laws of England. Every founding father read that. That was one of the most important legal treatises of the time. They all read it. Blackstone, this is in Blackstone, that abortion is, in the early stages of pregnancy, is legal. So this is a freedom that is a right retained by the people. It was understood to be that at the time of the founding. So that falls within the Ninth Amendment. And that is something that I have never seen... Uh, uh, to my to my mind, satisfactorily addressed. It's not at all addressed by Alito. There's all of these other debates about a right to privacy and, and the 14th Amendment, and there's a legal history as to why it, it, it comes about that way and the precedents and so forth. But these these originalists, um, you know, I'd like I'd like to see them wrestle with James Madison a little bit. So I have a 
a legal problem with with the decision for for that reason. There's there's plenty of others I could get into, but I mean that's to me is is always been a problem with the with this conservative case that they they shortchange individual rights and actually not just that they actually shortchange this this uh, founding era history, which strongly supports the idea that at least this limited. Um, you know, Roe v. Wade had the trimester, something like the first trimester where there would be, you couldn't prohibit it, um, would be, would be allowed, abortion would be allowed. So that. you're saying that that could, could be, you know, presumed to be or, or viewed as an originalist position. Yes. The, that is really interesting and not a point I hear made very frequently. So the point that Alito makes, though, in the decision is about the fact that when the 14th Amendment was adopted, that three quarters of the states made abortion a crime at all stages of pregnancy. And that the fact that these prohibitions did exist in some way, shape or form suggested that there was not this kind of historical tradition um, that Americans needed to conserve with respect to the law, which is the reason why it couldn't be respected as kind of an unenumerated right. And, and I, I think it's probably an important distinction to draw out. It's not that so much that originalists imagine there are no unenumerated rights, um, but there are a couple of different originalist schools of thought, as I understand it. But some of them, like Justice Thomas, are far more reluctant to try and articulate what these rights are and don't really seem to have very clear rules for exactly how one would even go about determining what those rights are. Is, is, does that make sense? Or do you need to disentangle a few of those things in order to make it coherent? The Thomas point is good because he, he would argue that if you're going to talk about an unenumerated right that limits state action, you look at the Privileges or Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment, not the Due Process Clause because he hates substantive due process, as we were just talking about. He's never really gotten the chance in any case to spell out how he would um, how he would recognize rights under under the privileges or immunities clause. He might actually be, and I, I've long suspected that he would be. Um, libertarians would like some of what he had to say if he got the chance to to do it that way, at least on the economic liberty front, um, not on some maybe some other questions. Um, you know, Alito starts the clock, the historical clock, when it's sort of you know the best for his case. Um, it's, it's true that, that states start to ban abortion um, into the 19th century, but there is a question of, does, a, does, does positive state law trump the original meaning of the Ninth Amendment? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure why it should. Um, there's an interesting history. The feminists all know this, libertarian feminists all know this, but there's a very interesting history about how these, these bans, these, these abortion bans start to come in, which is essentially that midwives and things like that at the time of the founding are... are practicing, flourishing. And then the medical establishment basically kind of partners with the state, starts to try to regulate, get rid of all this competition, kind of create a medical cartel. And that's why you get the criminalization of abortion and all sorts of other things. So it's it's a kind of an ugly sexist history, too, that leads to these laws. Um, but again, the fact that that states have done something, the states can do things that are unconstitutional. That doesn't right. that doesn't be that that history doesn't actually, you know, necessarily sort of justify it. So you know, I think that uh, if I'm being fair, that the, probably a, a good, good counter argument to me would be that the 14th Amendment recasts, you know, there's there's a school of thought, uh, I think Akil Ridamar, the Yale law professor says this, that the 14th Amendment sort of recasts everything that comes before. So you'd look at the, 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 the kind of, you know, there was there was maybe kind of some 
Lockean sort of feelings at the time of the founding, but then the ratification of the 14th Amendment, there's a more of a Republican spirit and different kind of principles undermining that. And so that recasts everything that came before. So you'd actually look at the First Amendment a little differently than the framers would have and so forth. I'm not sure I'm persuaded by that, but like if that's correct, then that would that might work against my argument. So I would I you know I have to acknowledge that. Um, but I think my point is that even under the Glucksberg test, which is that a, that a, to to be recognized as fundamental right has to be deeply rooted in American history, a right that is um, present in every state at the time of the founding, that is the law at the time of the founding. I mean that's deeply rooted in American history. Damon, one thing that people uh, shot back at me when I tweeted out uh, a statement from your article before about the Ninth Amendment is uh, was like, yeah, well, what about the Tenth? Because the Tenth kicks the uh, unenumerated rights um, or, or rights that are not delegated to the federal government on the Constitution to the states. And like, hey, or even the Ninth Amendment says the people, well, the people are the states. So what's your problem, dude? Um, yeah, the Ninth Amendment, you know, reserves power to the states of the people. I mean, that's true. That's a, that's a federalism provision, and the Fourteenth Amendment changes that a little bit. Um, I guess I'm not really sure that that's an, much of an argument. Mm -hmm. I mean, my point is that the that the, the Ninth Amendment speaks to rights retained by the people. So the question just is: Is this, if as an originalist, is this conceivably a right retained by the people at the time of the ratification of the Ninth Amendment? Does it fall within the original understanding? Of the Ninth Amendment, and of course, if we want to talk about what's the original understanding of the state powers of the states, which mm -hmm. is what the Tenth Amendment speaks to, then the original understanding of the power of the states, what's called the police power of the states, power to regulate health, public health, welfare, and safety, did not include the power to regulate abortion up until quickening. Abortion was legal up until quickening, under the original understanding of the state power at the time of the founding. So I'm not sure the Tenth Amendment argument does with. The, I don't know, these people on Twitter seem to think it does. I actually think that there's if we if we want to talk about the original understanding of state power, we could say, well, there's there is an abortion right in the early stages of pregnancy that the, that the states weren't weren't um, interfering with that because they were following the common law. It's certainly not unlimited. Not unlimited. Like, many of the state constitutions echo exactly the same language that's in the, the U.S. Constitution, essentially suggesting that there are certain rights that people have and possess, and among them are life, liberty, and property, which does not suggest that this is all of the rights that exist. There are plenty of unenumerated rights, and there is a purview that the state is permitted to operate in. It's, it is enumerated at the federal level and at the state level. It's narrower, but it's a little harder to disentangle exactly where the rights are. Um, I, I, I want to get to some of this other stuff, but I do want to um, uh, suggest that folks seek out Damon's piece on this. And he's written a piece on pretty much all of these things, it seems, over at Reason. Um, but also Clark Neely had a piece, The Hard Problem of Abortion Rights, that I read earlier today that I thought was really instructive. And interestingly, his response to that 14th Amendment situation and the fact that many states had some abortion prohibitions um, was to cite Robert Bork, um, who uh, talked about Brown v. Board of Education being decided rightly, despite the fact that the same court that instituted the 14th Amendment was also fine with segregation. Um, and the fact is that they made a determination that equality and segregation were mutually inconsistent with one another. So that was a, a sufficient reason to, to, to decide that people actually had a right to equality that made segregation something that the, the state could not do. Um, so there is a precedent for this. There are conservatives who make these arguments. And but segregation, Camille's winning now. It's, we're back well, to segregation. Just we, we separate to, but equal we may have to deal is with the that. name of the new 
Abram X. Kendi book, and then there's separate but equal for kids. And I then sort of my order by default on that today. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about guns? Because that, you know, it's funny yes. with the, everyone hyperventilating about this, and that seems uh, justifiable. Uh, the response, you know, in my universe, I always, you know, the weather vein of, um, you know, people, people on Instagram, because most people I follow on Instagram are not political. So it's, it, it is actually pretty interesting when these things happen. And there was, there was one that I saw, I was like, you know what, we really got to watch out now in New York City. Uh, it's after the Supreme Court ruling, there's just going to be people getting shot in the streets. And I'm like, you know, there already are people getting shot in the streets. <laughs> have you not, have you not been in New York in a bit? I mean, maybe you live in like, you know, Oneonta or something, but here in the city, it's a little different. So what do you, what do you make of, of that uh, ruling, Damon? I imagine my guess only is that you're probably a little more sympathetic to, to, to that ruling. Yeah, I'm more sympathetic to gun rights stuff for sure. Um, the ruling is both, you know, bigger and, and smaller than I think some people think. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly very big and that the court has recognized that the Second Amendment extends outside the home, which has not been has not been and held before. It's maybe implied in the earlier cases, maybe not. But one of the things in Kavanaugh, the concurrence he wrote really spelled this out explicitly, which is that, you know, the, the problem the, with the problem that this court saw with this New York licensing regime was that it was what's called a, a may issue regime. So you, you want a concealed carry license. You, you, first of all, you do all of the objective criteria that the state asks you to do, but then you still have to go to a local licensing official, which was typically, I guess, a local judge. Some some states, it's yeah. like the local chief of police or something. And then you have to show a special need. And that could be a very subjective experience. And that's a, a lot of discretion in the hands of those like lo in local saying, officials. In saying, for instance, you live in a bad neighborhood, it's not did not doubt. qualify Self-defense. Defense was not in and of itself enough. Yeah. So they make, they make these onerous, these kind of things where you can get it, but it's incredibly difficult for you to get it because right. and so we set the bar really high. Yeah. yeah. You've been and, a cop. Okay. Yeah, right. Exactly. Easy, <laughs> I mean, easy to open to abuse. <laughs> open to abuse is the sort of the court's concern. And that's the was the situation in in seven seven states or and DC, I think. Um, 43 states have uh, uh, shall issue. So the state sets uh, objective criteria, which could be you have to have a background check, mental health check, uh, all, all sorts of stuff. Got to go to the gun range, take a bunch of lessons, and be certified and, and firearm safety. A lot of stuff, and and then or could be a lot of stuff. And then and then if you if you pass all those objective criteria, then we shall issue the sort of the permit and the court. And that's the sort of the central legal issue is is that that the may issue is just it's it's not how you do constitutional rights. If it's a constitutional right, um, that's too much too much um, leeway in the hands of these local officials to be abused. And so Kavanaugh spells out that, that those 43 other states, all that stuff is fine. And of course, New York can do that. And New York's going to do that. It's going to set very, very, very high bar for its new shall issue uh, regime. Um, so in that sense, it's less than people, uh, maybe, um, because a lot of gun control is going to pass muster under that, or at least the way Kavanaugh was. It was Kavanaugh joined by Roberts. They, 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 he, Robert signed on to the Kavanaugh concurrence, and they were kind of signaling that, look, a lot of gun control is, is just fine. It's going to pass. Maybe the other justices don't agree with that, but that's going to be where, where some of the action is going forward, those questions. Do and then the other... Sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Just uh, do you get the sense that people who are commenting on this kind of don't realize that open <laughs> carry is is all over the country and has been for a while. Like it, but that's also recent, right? Let's like a last 20 or 30 years thing where open carry went from kind of rare or at least not, not talked about to being like enshrined in law in a bunch of different uh, states. Yes. The, and especially this kind of really aggressive 
open carry movement is a is a new new development. So um, it's it's a it's a huge it's a huge decision. Two thousand ten is the last time there was a big Second Amendment case that that and and so this is it's been there's been a lot of action in the lower courts and the Supreme Court has essentially been kind of dodging a big gun rights case for reasons we don't entirely understand. But this this kind of new solid majority they you know got a chance and they they went for it. I'm sure somebody will do this if if a listener wants to. And I, Damon, I'm not going to expect that you would know this offhand. But is you know it's kind of slightly tangential. But is, do we know? Do we have any data? We of course have data. But is you know the coalition of that data of with this open carry movement that, as Matt says, is of rather recent vintage? Do we see an uptick? Because uh, you know, if the, I imagine if there was a big uptick in gun violence in places that had actually instituted that, we'd know about it, or it would be it would be highlighted quite a bit. Do you know if that if if there's any overlap there? I, I do know there's statistics on this. I don't I don't know what they are. They were yeah. they, some of this was in the briefing in the case because some of the the uh, the shall issue states where where it's you don't have that you know uh, extra discretion and and ability to keep people from getting a concealed carry license. You know, the states like Arizona, like states with big cities uh, with lots of people. Um, and and I and I believe there is an assertion that you know that that you, there's no explosion of gun crime that yeah. you might expect you know so that that's at least part of the argument on the winning side was that you know 43 states do this there's no great epidemic of particular epidemic of violence um, associated and Chicago with, has very yeah. very restrictive Chicago has laws. very restrictive gun gun laws yeah um, it's know. working because uh, the people can't defend themselves now so I suppose that's working. Two, two things that I, I thought might be interesting for us to kick around a little bit. I mean, one, um, we talked a lot about the, the de decisions and the concurring um, uh, write-ups. We said probably a bit less about the dissenting opinions that have been written. And it seems both with abortion rights and with the gun case, um, the dissents uh, in many instances aren't merely talking about kind of legal disputes. In many instances, there are extended uh, rifts on the kind of broader consequences, like the the gun case. There's references to suicide and mass shootings in the in the dissenting opinion. Uh, I wonder if how that struck you, Damon. And the the second thing that I thought was of some interest is a lot of people are talking about how radical the this particular court is and it seems to me that that we should probably acknowledge the fact that there are all of these concurrences and that like uh justice roberts in particular um and perhaps more so with the abortion case um seems to be going out of his way to make it clear that he's you know not on board with the most extreme um interpretation of the law here and he still makes an appeal for uh judicial restraint which i suspect doesn't make anyone terribly happy because he didn't he didn't win that argument but it does seem important that there are these different currents on the court even amongst the conservatives oh yeah i mean in fact that's the big story going forward and the thing to watch is the divisions among the conservative justices so they're kind of all on the same page on on guns and abortion but there's going to be a lot of then and, and in fact we've seen it this term especially on criminal justice stuff where they're really very far apart gorsuch and alito whenever they're, they're on the opposite sides of a criminal justice case you know i um, you know, the criminal justice reformers are cheering for Gorsuch, um, you know, so there's things like that to watch. Yeah, Roberts, Roberts tried in the abortion case to attract some votes to this narrower uh, a concurrence that he wrote. He, 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 he did his best. You know, that, what he wanted to do was, was, was find a middle ground where Roe and Casey are not overturned, 
but you know all of these kind of state regulations keep getting upheld. So effectively, the anti-abortion side, um, you know, kind of wins the day, but you don't have this massive social turmoil of because like the headline of Roe v. Wade overturned. I mean, everybody understands that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and whereas this more narrow incremental way that that abortion rights are scaled back, it doesn't, you know, wouldn't be as controversial. So Roberts is trying to protect what he sees as the, you know, I think the reputation of the court, its integrity. Um and and yeah, not moving as fast, not being so radical, but uh, he, he he certainly has been unable to to do much of that this term. I mean, he's he doesn't have the votes for it. Uh, he tried probably tried with Kavanaugh, you know, maybe Barrett, but but no, that is, that is a kind of buried headline that in all the pieces that I read. I mean, look, I mean, I understand why. I'm not even criticizing the media on this that the the made headline is Roe overturned, but the Roberts concurrence, which is kind of a concurrence. I mean, this is bits when she says, you know, I, I'm not really not happy about Roe being overturned, but, you know, 15 weeks in Mississippi seems reasonable. And the thing about that, and I just wanted to point this out quickly, is that, you know, as, as I said earlier, and this is, no one's really interested in my opinions on this because, I mean, everybody has an opinion on this and they're all boring. But I'm not super happy about what happened. But it's not that strange, right? America is incredibly permissive when it comes to abortion prior to this ruling, right? So I just went through this stuff because I remember in Sweden, which has them when I lived there, has the most liberal. Uh, actually, the, the Dutch have the most liberal uh, abortion laws in Europe. But these are the 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 time limits uh, on abortions. And just I'm just going to list the first five: um, Austria first three months, right? So that would be 12, 12 weeks, Belgium, 12 weeks, Bulgaria, 12 weeks, Croatia, 10, Cyprus, 12, Czech Republic, 12, Denmark, 12, Estonia, 11. I mean, keeping in mind, it's it's illegal after 11, Estonia, Finland, 12, France, 14, Germany, 12, and so on. Um, so, I mean, 15. And, and when you look at what's happening in Virginia, we have uh, Youngkin suggesting that he will introduce 15 weeks in Virginia, which is still more permissive than most of the the countries in Western Europe. So, I mean, we've gone from incredibly permissive to in in a state like Virginia. I mean, obviously, as you pointed out, there are going to be states that make it illegal from the moment of conception, which is utter madness. But um, to give people some sense that I think that, you know, when they always think that Europe is a very liberal place on always so much more um, liberal and sensible than us, and, you know, I saw um, some ministers in France tweeting about how horrible and knuckle-dragging America was. And, you know, I, I agree with their general instinct that, that this ruling is bad. But it's not, it's, I mean, we've been, you know, far more liberal than, than Europe has been. And Moynihan, that, that Yunkin situation, I, I think I saw him say that he suspects that they may have to get to like 20 weeks in order to actually find some sort of compromise with the legislature in order yeah. to bring, attract enough people to the legislation, so which, which strengthens the point that you're making there. And there's, there's one country in Europe, one out of 30 odd countries that has 20, and it's uh, the Netherlands, which I think has 20, and then you know, 22 in some instances, but 22 is the cap. Um, nothing, is, nothing is higher than that. And, that and, and, there, and, and the Dutch are a real outlier in this. Uh, but just to uh, under to uh, reask uh, Camille's question, Damon, uh, what do you see of interest in the on the dissenting uh, Democratic uh, appointed oh, yeah, yeah. side? What's is there anything any intellectual uh, green shoots? Is there a lot of uh, just sort of vomiting up politics, or are there interesting legal arguments to your uh, 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 mind? 
Well, uh, in the abortion case, uh, uh, I, uh, the dissent, I think, correctly uh, pointed out that 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 other cases are imperiled by the logic of, of Alito's opinion. So I think the dissent is right about that. That's it was a strong legal observation. Um, you know, on these cases, yeah, like abortion, especially, I mean, you have like a entrenched liberal position that's 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 just lost and lost really big. And so um, it's there, there's it's there's. You know, there's there's outrage at it. There's there's it's a it's um. I think I think some of the stuff that you see in there that you're you're pointing to, it's like it it sort of makes sense contextually. I mean, this is like suddenly you have three justices who are quite who are quite outgunned on on such a such an important issue to them, and and are and are raging. Uh, Justice Sotomayor is certainly not pulling any punches, and her dissent is being quite. Uh, dissents being quite quite fiery. Um, she's always kind of been like that, but but probably even more so now. Although she gave a speech recently, where she talked about how like, Karen Thomas was was such a great justice and friend of hers. And yeah. you know, don't give up on the court. You know, we're all very collegial. So she's she's putting the fire in these these dissents. But um, um, which you know, Thomas by all accounts is like that too. Um, you know, a great so, great a great a great colleague. Um, two two related things. Then I mean, one. It seems to me at least, and maybe it's just because I'm biased to, towards Randy Barnett, but I mean, Randy Barnett has a kind of robust argument for a kind of originalism that uh, plenty of libertarians like myself subscribe to um, that, that would actually allow for uh, the kind of argument that you've made um, for uh, a, an abortion right to be found in, in the Constitution. It feels as though the the liberal justices could make arguments like that, but perhaps don't because it might be inconvenient in other contexts. Just feels like there there it's, isn't much of a, a substantive argument there. Well, so there's a there's a there's a deep history why why progressives and liberal judges are quite uh, you know quite hogtied on this, um, and this goes back to the Lochner case. So in in 1905, you have the Lochner case. That's the the what what the critics called the high water mark of laissez-faire constitutionalism when economic liberty is is and capitalism is running amok and Herbert Spencer's social statics are you know ruling the constitution and so forth. So the New Deal in the 30s is is butting up against that kind of judicial philosophy. And in 1937, in a case called West Coast Hotel, uh, Lochner is overturned, and that decision says the Constitution does not makes no mention of liberty of contract, therefore we are not going to respect liberty of contract. So you have this, the original argument against unenumerated rights came from the left. It came during the progressive and New Deal eras because the, the unenumerated rights that were being protected at the time were unenumerated economic rights, the right to economic freedom, the right to free labor, what's called the right to liberty of contract. Uh, I think those rights are all very defensible. Uh, I've written basically two books about about that. Um, and progressives and liberals, you know, the, that was the that was the that was the great victory of New Deal constitutionalism in 1937, 1938 was wiping, wiping that kind of libertarian, if you want to call it, reading of the Constitution, wiping it off the map. So that's been gospel for in, in left of center legal circles ever since. Um, liberals have, have had a lot of problems because suddenly it turns out liberals do want to recognize some unenumerated rights, like the right to privacy, the right to gay marriage. And so there is, there, there's a case called Caroline Products. It's got a famous footnote, footnote four, where there's an attempt to like, well, here we can do this, but not that. And uh, the jurisprudence has been pretty screwed up uh, ever since. A more robust um, constitutionalism that acknowledged that you know Lochner stands on solid legs, just like Casey does, just like some of these other cases do. I think would would benefit the left also. But 
they they seem to not want to do that because they're worried about the this the boogeyman of of unfettered capitalism uh, and the Lochner case. Um, the you know the progressives hated Lochner in the in the New Deal era, and then Robert Bork and his brand of conservatives they have been denouncing Lochner in those cases ever since. So there's this interesting overlap between the conservative left and the progressive uh, conservative right, progressive left on that. And so that is. Um, that's a long answer to your question, but that is, I think, the explanation as to why you see um, these progressive judges who have some some weapons at their disposal and they're not really using them precisely because they are uh, well, you know, we don't want to be Lochnerizing, heaven, you know, heaven forbid. Um, so they so they 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 don't, and that's actually one of the big problems with the legal reasoning in Roe v. Wade that that is precisely, and it comes out of uh, the Griswold case, which is the right to privacy, which sets up Roe v. Wade. All of those cases are basically Lochner kind of cases, and they're they're literally in the Lochner line of cases if you trace the precedents back. And uh, the liberal judges who write those opinions, they they're very uncomfortable about that. They're trying to dance around it. They're they're twisting themselves into these kind of intellectual pretzels. Um, to, to, to handle that, not very satisfactorily, which is one of the reasons why critics of Roe can say, well, it's pretty shoddy legal analysis, which is true. Um, you know, it's uh, Roe, Roe, Roe has this constitutional analysis that's like, whether it's, you know, this provision or that provision, you know, it's, it's there, which is, it's not, it's not great. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you giving us some context for these rulings. I suspect we just we're going to have to continue to monitor the court. I mean, do you have any predictions with what's likely to happen with any of these upcoming cases, anything in particular that we should be paying unique attention to? Well, I mean, one thing I actually will say, it's a little different answer is that uh, this has been, we haven't talked about this really at all, but it's been a terrible term for criminal justice reform at the Supreme Court. And that's a, that's a direction the court's going in that if you care about police accountability, Federal police accountability. Um, you know, there's the, that Miranda ruling. Uh, these are these are very bad decisions. If you're if you're on the criminal justice reform side of things, and and Alito has always been very bad on that stuff. Thomas has, has often been pretty bad on that stuff, and they they seem to have a nice little majority with them. Uh, Gorsuch is is good sometimes, but he's been on the wrong side of a, a lot of that stuff too. So that is a that is um, one of these ways that a conservative court really could use some more liberals on it because liberals seem to be the ones who care a lot more about that stuff right now. And uh, so I think that's uh, just be prepared for some 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 disappointing. If you care about this stuff, be prepared for some dis- more some more disappointing decisions uh, along those lines in the in the in the in the terms ahead. Got it. Well, Damon, as always, we appreciate you uh, giving us some context and staying up, staying up late with us to do it. I know you've got plenty, plenty more writing to do on these topics, so we won't hold you. My pleasure to be here. Thanks. It's always great to talk to you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. For Thank you, Damon. I always appreciate Damon getting into the weeds with us. He's a very smart guy. Yeah. His sort of mustache, uh, uh, goatee thinks he's growing. <laughs> Look, you can't have everything. That's unfortunate. <laughs> That's true. He is from Tampa. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And the, th- and the secret that we've revealed before about Damon, I think if you go back and listen to a previous Damon episode, I think he might be quietly, secretly mm-hmm. one of our most frequent guests because when these things happen, huh. he comes on. Yeah. Is uh, he does have a lot of tattoos that you yeah. cannot see. Yeah. But because he, he wears like, you know, long sleeve shirts and the rest of it. But he's, uh, he's pretty fully tattooed. Yeah. Like a Yakuza hitman. Yeah, exactly. He looks like Yakuza from Tampa. And or sad Ben Affleck on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Showing the Phoenix. <laughs> the Phoenix. Yeah, his tattoos Phoenix are better than rising. that. Better than uh, that. 
No, they're much better. But as you as you mentioned, when when it comes to like Supreme Court commentary from from mm. the rank and file American, it is not particularly eloquent or well informed. No. <laughs> um, and I see a number of good Americans, people who are are morally uh, outraged by the horrible awfulness of January 6th and the attack on our institutions who have simply said, you know what, maybe we abandon the courts. Perhaps we should just stop paying attention to them. The Supreme yeah, Court yeah. doesn't matter anymore. It's completely undemocratic and monstrous. And in a way it is in that's fact kind of undemocratic, but that's kind of by design. Yeah. Um, they don't like it when the rules don't work in their favor or provide outcomes that that aren't consistent with with their values. It's the it's the political version of when I was playing games with my daughter when she was younger and she's still she's still very competitive. But when she's very young, we didn't know how to deal with this, um, that we would play like a board game or something. And she'd be like five or six years old. And there'd be a point at which you just turn the board over and be like, fuck this and like walk away. She's like, no, I don't like losing. This game is only fun when I win. Oh, where did and she that get is that from? I, I don't know because she's adopted. I haven't told her yet. We're gonna do it, gonna do it in a couple couple years. Yeah. But she doesn't love the podcast. Yeah. She's not into that stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, that is it. Is like everybody. You know, you see the previous decisions. Like it's time to pack the court, and now it's like it's time to stop listening. I mean, this is like nullification. I mean, this is some full on nullification yes. going on. Left wing supreme nullification. Yeah, yeah. That's it's funny. amazing because uh, there was one that I thought was amazing today that somebody sent me. It was a writer. I can't remember. Maybe this was making the rounds or maybe it was just some something on his feed, but it was some woman who's a writer and not a political writer, but she had like a picture. <laughs> she had like a picture of her daughter who appeared to be like eight or something, like nine. And it was... <laughs> It's just the framing of this is so strange to me. It's like, I don't want to live in a country where my daughter can't have an abortion. And I'm like, wait, she's nine. You're like literally rooting for her to have an abortion. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, I get what you're trying to say, but I don't think that she understood how weird it sounded. Like a she posted a picture, two of her cute little daughters, like this little girl is going to have an abortion someday. And I'm like, wait, what is that? Are you sure about that? And you want that to happen? It's a weird way to argue for it. And that's like pretty consistent with everything that I've seen is that, you know, and again, I have I have indicated that I'm on the side of these people. I I don't like this future. I don't I'm I'm not a fan of this decision. Um, but you know, people are going a little wild. I mean, I would expect this kind of um response if it wasn't kicked back to the states and it was just banned, you know, federal ban, it's all gone. You well, have I mean, to you go, have, but you have the twenty or so states that have the trigger laws, right? So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Change, well, I'm not saying it's not important, but there's, there's, states. yeah, and and then there's, you know, these there's states that have the trigger laws in places like Oklahoma, which has the most restrictive abortion laws in the country, and will continue to do so. Louisiana, as uh, Democratic governor, uh, you know, said we're banning abortion right now. It's 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 over in Louisiana. Um, as of as of today, the all the crazy unforeseen consequences of this we're going to see play out over the next couple of years. But I just think the response to it, which is let's I mean, Camille, you sent was it you that sent the AOC thing? Mm -hmm. You did, didn't you? Yeah. A lot of these institutions were built on, on, a, on a very creaky foundation. And so what that means is that when we build it back, we need to build it back stronger than what it was before. What can you do in Congress? I mean, that's the thing. We have to fill the streets. Right now, elections are not enough. You know, I'm not gonna. Well, I'm not gonna be here 
there and tell you to drop out because we need to show up everywhere. We need sand in every damn gear. We need sand, sand in every damn gear. But elections alone they are not going to save us. We need to show up, yeah, at the ballot box, but that's the bare minimum. Because frankly, we just elected the first pro-choice majority Democratic Party three years ago. To understand where we're at. It's a bare minimum. Stand in the gear. The monkey wrench gang. What is the what is the maximum if that's the bare minimum showing up at the ballot box? Can can you one of you guys explain to me what the maximum would be? Taking zip ties and handguns to the justice's house, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So as long as we don't talk you know, about it afterwards. I don't know. Never happened. Million woman pussy hat march gets people's attention in theory, right? I think that's kind of mostly what she's saying for I don't know if she's gonna articulate like what sand and what gear to make a thing stop. I, I think she will probably fall short of that. Most um, kind of progressive protest uh, uh, rhetoric. I mean, Camille used to live over by, what's the name of that terrible, filthy hippie square over there in, in lower Manhattan? It, or at least it was oh, for Zuccotti, Zuccotti, Zuccotti Park. Park. Yeah. Yeah, and so when when people would stop snapping at some point and uh, and talk to them, yeah, uh, when they would articulate what they were planning on doing besides pooping on cop cars, it kind of it kind of. I mean, forty percent of those people that were snapping at Zuccotti Park lost everything options trading during the coronavirus pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> had Robin Hood, and they were like, mm, "If you can't beat them, join them." They'll have to de depend on their trust funds now. So I think they'll be okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I sympathize a lot with people who are freaking out. I think it's, it's a, it's a decision worth freaking out about just on purely a, a, a sense of how the law is changed today or tomorrow for 10 scores of millions of people. That's, that's a huge change in things. And, um and, it makes me, I mean, the dog catching the car, I, my last magazine column for reason was about how the notion of self-defense um, uh, is inherently uh, sexy, or at least it's sort of, it It, it gives, uh, uh, it's a generator of empathy uh, and political solidarity. When uh, you see that a political party or a government is is depriving people actively of something, of rights, of dignity, or something like that. Um, it's uh, to defend those rights or that dignity is very natural, right? And this could be about war. You know, Ukraine was my lead in that thing, but it, it can also be about something like, you know, gay adoption, which was widely reviled on the right um, and was outlawed in Florida well through the 90s. Um, it's like cute gay couples wanting to, to adopt your kids. Like, what the fuck would you be against that, right? And so when you- Would you object if ugly gay couples wanted to well, uh, adopt your kids? I mean, that, but that, when, when does that happen? <laughs> you want, you <laughs> wanted a, an attractive uh, test. But like, but this was the problem. Um, uh, and we saw this in the, uh, the first George W. Bush administration, which most people have forgotten about because just like Iraq and nothing else, maybe- they might have some vague memory of Enron, but like what really spoiled the milk over there was Terry Shavo case, right? Mm -hmm. It was when mm -hmm. suddenly Republicans are like, we need to get the entire federal government to intervene on this one case and, and get involved with this one family. And it sort of felt like, whoa, dudes, you're kind of, mm. that's not. That's not cool. That backfired on them quite a bit. It did. It absolutely yeah. did. There is yeah. because people have a natural sense of like, hey, you've you're now the overdog and you're using state power to get into people's kitchens and you shouldn't do that, right? So um, I think that there's going to be uh, at least somewhat 
of a backlash to that now. And it's a very understandable one. I mean, regardless of the legal theories that get you there or the philosophical Mm -hmm. theories that get you there, because there's a rights conflict at the heart of the abortion debate. A well-established right. Yeah, right. But like, but also like you've changed things in such a way where literally people are going to like go to jail for miscarriages. People are going to be, uh, you know, uh, forced to give birth to rape babies in prison. Like bad shit's going to happen here. It's going to be well publicized. And people are going to say, regardless of your theory, regardless of your philosophy and all of the elegant arguments that got you there, let's say they were as elegant as can be. This is the outcome of what you just did. And as such, you have gone on offense on people. The power of the state is going to be tilted against certain women in a hell of a lot of states. And that's going to generate a lot of uh, sympathy. I, I predict abortion rights are going to get a hell of a lot more popular in this country. And, over the and, next and, and you know, those uh, the polling is always a little weird on this, but but you know, they are it is generally popular. And even in some of those states, um, we're going to see, see some of those numbers, which are pretty tight in states that are banning it. But to to what you're saying, Matt, is that I, I want to be clear that the when I see this mass freakout. What I'm talking about is not people saying this is consequential and this is bad, because those are two thoughts that I hold in my head at the same time, too. It is that we have to disregard the court. Um, we lost. Let's change the rules. So when you said this is the, the, the dog that caught, caught the car, after this happened today, I took out some books off my shelf. And I took out uh, first Alan Pell Crawford's book, Thunder on the Right. Uh, which is uh, Alan Pell Crawford was a he was kind of a new right figure uh, who broke with it pretty quickly and wrote a book about it back in I think the early eighties. But this is stuff about Paul Weirich, uh, Richard Vigory, the uh, direct mail guy. And then I got into this kind of um, rabbit hole. And Vigory in particular has always fascinated me. And I found this quote which I thought would be pretty interesting to bring up because you know this is um, from nineteen eighty one. And this is Richard Vigory at a um, conservative conference where he says, and again, remember, the abortion issue was rather new in 1981 as as a sort of galvanizing um, issue on the right. This is what he said. The abortion issue is the door through which many people come into conservative politics, but they don't stop there. Their convictions against abortion are like the first in a series of falling dominoes. Then we lead them to concern about sexual ethics and standards among young people. This leads to opposition to secular humanism. Then, particularly in the schools with their pur- uh, purportedly uh, decadent morality, we point out that secular humanism is identified as both Godfather and the royal road to socialism and communism, which points the way to commitments to minimally regulated free enterprise at home and aggressive foreign policy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, sounds pretty familiar, actually, doesn't it? Yeah. These culture war issues. Um, something, is particularly when you turn it towards schools, and you know, godless uh, sexuality and 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 gross sexual practices that Richard Vigory was uh, thundering against, and that's why but, he mean, supported Donald Trump uh, uh, two times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is and this is the thing. This is what people who are upset about this in a in you know organized politics. If you're a Democrat, if you've been in democratic politics for a long time, if you have been, you know, organizing on behalf of Democrats, you know, writing for, for you know, magazines that are left-leaning or volunteering your time to democratic candidates, this is on you. 
I'm sorry, but here's what happens. When you change and you say, we need to do this in this kind of pure way that you know conforms to my vision of liberal politics, but is going to leave working class people who don't actually care about the stuff that I care about. You know, now it's things like pronouns, but there's there's stuff that goes way, way back where you see Demo- Democrat the democratic machine disconnecting from working class people in America. The the long game that they've been playing that conservatives have been playing, this is the biggest victory they've ever had. I can't imagine a bigger victory than this. I can't think of in the modern conservative movement, what victory is bigger? Good Lord. Barry Goldwater, you know, is, you know, is wiped out, right, in 1964. And then everyone says after the fact, long after the fact, what a great moment that he was wiped out because it brought us to Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan ultimately brings us to this moment. And all of these things are this kind of slow movement of, the, of, of like organized conservatism who are very good at this stuff. And when you are like, you, when you have to win elections and you're trying to win it on these kind of pure lines and, you know, saying like people like Bill Clinton, who did a very good job of this, by the way, who understood how to shift and say, you know, let's end welfare as we know it after failing in 1994 with health in 93 and 94 with healthcare, which was going to be the big, big, you know, Clinton accomplishment in his first term, he shifts and he understood how to do that. Clintonian politics. I mean, that was called triangulation, but it was also called good politics because you wanted to keep Democrats in power because guess what? Supreme court justices die. And when you, when you cede that field to Donald Trump and sit, sit and, you know, say, Oh my God, 60 odd million people voted for this unbelievable racist. You get three Supreme court picks in one term. Like, this is why you can't, you know, just, you know, say these people are idiots. We can't uh, engage with them. They're racist. We're never going to actually communicate with them because we care about different things. You have to try to communicate with them. Because if you don't try to communicate with them, the other side wins. And the other side wins and Supreme Court justices die. Bye-bye, Roe. I mean, this is not surprising. uh, It's not surprising. I I mean, trust me, actually, a long time ago, I I was very, I I said this would never happen. I mean, I probably said that on the show. I never thought this would happen. But now looking back, it's like, yeah, this this was sort of inevitable in a way. I don't know if I ever said that, but I probably thought that at least. So I will confess to it uh, yesterday. And I haven't been following the news. I've been working very much uh, recently, but I'll glance at Twitter late at night um, before like uh, reading the next uh, nine, 90 trillion word uh, piece about Paul McCartney. Um, and uh, and uh, I saw someone tweet that Susan Sarandon was trending. And I'm like, oh, dear God. Oh, what, what, go. happened? Yeah. what happened? Um, by now, I know what happened. It's not like, oh, she flashed her boob or something like that because she's not of boob flashing age uh, as much anymore. But that's ageist. Yeah, it is. Uh, periodically, people get upset, re-upset that Susan Sarandon defiantly campaigned for and voted for uh jill stein in 2016 so it's moments (laughs) like this that people remember that and i clicked on it and sure enough that's what it's like you know good job susan sarandon this is prior to the Dobbs ruling so like people were just getting ready for they knew that they could feel like something prior to coming i wrote a piece all of you (laughs) and and it's the flip side it's it's the lady from fucking rocky horror that did it to you it's the flip side of the moynihan argument like the smart way to uh take moynihan's observation is to say okay are, are these if these are the politics that i care about 
how about making uh, politics something that is relevant to people's lives instead of trying that in, a, in such a way to alienate people um, uh, and alienate voters? Um, or you could just blame uh, a third party and a couple of, of halfwit celebrities for voting the wrong way and in a way that didn't actually uh, impact the election, I do not think. Do either of you think, and I don't know what I think about this too early to tell, but I mean, I'm going to ask both of you to predict that this will be um, a catalyzing event that sees a turn towards more radicalism in the sense that post-George Floyd, which was a single event that was supposedly speaking to a larger issue. I mean, this is actually, you know, consequential, directly consequential to the lives of millions of people. I wonder if this is going to be a catalyzing event that makes everybody uh, more radical and actually alienates even more people, or is it going to be the thing that alienates people from Republicans hmm. uh, because, you know, abortion, you know, I mean, if you look at the opinion polls, uh, people generally don't want abortion to be banned. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot of these like, you know, schisms within um, factions and the way the questions are asked and everything. But it's not a blowout. It's not, you know, 70, 30. I mean, you know, by and large, people, people support uh, the right to an abortion in America. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. It's hard not to pay attention to how Democrats have changed on like the issue of abortion. I mean, we were just talking about Biden. Clinton Clinton a little earlier. Well, certainly Biden, but pretty much everybody, but we were talking about Clinton a little earlier and the whole like safe, legal and rare yeah. framework that he had for approaching the issue, which I think kind of generally resonated with many Americans was good politics as you described it, Moynihan. Um yeah. and it's it's hard to imagine them tacking back in that direction to make these arguments, but it does seem to me that that would be the prudent thing to do yeah. if you were actually interested yeah. in trying to make inroads with the majority of independents who are in fact in favor of um, of, of abortion rights, um, the the small percentage of Republicans who are in favor of abortion rights. Like that, that seems like a reasonable strategy. But over the course of recent decades, the folks on the left have have moved further and further away from some of those more moderate positions and in favor of much harder positions. And it's it's odd. I mean, Joe Biden is a guy who won an election to office because he was supposed to be the more moderate figure who would who would put perhaps in check um, some of those other impulses. But even now, I mean, we, we haven't quite gotten there yet. I suspect we'll maybe spend a little time talking about it. You know, this week we've got the Federal Reserve uh, legislation um, that proposes to have the Federal Reserve adopt uh, a kind of third priority, which is pursuing racial equity. We're facing, you know, the worst inflation we've seen in, what, 40, 50 years <laughs> And the, the Federal Reserve has obviously failed in its responsibility to try and keep that in check. Uh, but there seems to be someone who imagines that they'll be overall better at their job if we broaden their mandate and give them a nebulous, explicitly political objective to shoot at now as well. Um, so it's it's it hard to imagine things joke, going in, uh, in a more reasonable direction after this. Do you remember the, the old joke uh, of the NPR headline, world ends, women and minorities hardest hit? Uh, <laughs> also recalled I mean, as a New York Times headline, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, just you can you can pick whatever. I like, like no, the I idea of money move. money printer go DEI. I think it's a. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, on the on the um, on the abortion front, I mean, I think you're right, Camille. I mean, it's it, it is this maximalist approach on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. 
the maximalist approach from Republicans, the maximalist approach from, from Democrats, the AOCs of the world, they get such plaudits from the media and they're loved. And, you know, you can win in a tiny district by a handful of votes and, you know, try to set the agenda for your party. But, you know, that kind of maximalism is not what they should be doing right now. I mean, they should be repositioning and saying, we are getting destroyed. And the midterms, we're going to get destroyed. We, let's see if the red wave changes because of things like this. I don't think it's going to be a huge change, but, you know, there's, a, there, there's you, you see an opening and you, you take it, right? I mean, you're down, you're losing, you pull the goalie, all right? So pull the goalie here and say, you know what, maybe we should actually take this and, and you know, war game it and say, how do we approach this issue that speaks to that kind of that middle you know, it's funny that you see the piece by Maggie Haberman today that Donald Trump said, you know, took credit for, you know, this happening and said, well, actually, you know, he gave God credit. But behind the scenes, he was saying this is actually suggests that Trump actually has some political acumen, said this is actually bad and this will be bad for the midterms if, you know, Rose overturned. Read the story. It's pretty interesting. That and apparently this is reported from a number of people close to Trump, and I assume that he told Maggie Haberman that himself, um, because I think he still talks to people who he doesn't like. I think, um, I think to the to the question, yes, Keith Olbermann is going to go out there and say, you know, it's it's time to install uh, Luis Mensch as president or whatever his harebrained scheme <laughs> is. Let's disintegrate it all. Nothing is legitimate. <laughs> um, but he's just Keith Oldman. He's been crazy for pretty it's long. It's so funny that he's time. consistently the worst person in the world. It just, <laughs> I mean, uh, so maybe. So, which one of us is the idiot who wrote it? That's the question. Uh, like, yeah. uh, it's a self fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> prophecy. But um, um, no, I think Democrats have a pretty easy way on the abortion question to um, to be uh, uh, to generate popularity, which is go to and try to uh, create workarounds and, and popularity around, uh, uh, you know, the crazy shit that's going to happen in Oklahoma that's happening in this state, that's happening in that state, and propose ways or uh, kind of make publicity in such a way that changes uh, actions, maybe puts pressure on more companies, uh, what is it, Google now, uh, certainly Disney, um, uh, and, and uh, a few other cor corporations are talking about how we will pay you four thousand dollars to go have an abortion, and if you happen to be in a, yeah. uh, in a, uh, a non-abortion state now, um, hmm. but uh, uh, more impactfully, they can say, okay, what can, what do we need to do? What obstacles can we remove? So that birth control is now over the counter. That's a thing that Democrats could be, and they find a lot of Republicans who would agree with them yeah. making that kind of yeah. thing happen. Mm -hmm. What can we do to ensure that the morning after pill can be mailed anywhere and be legal in as many places as, as possible? That kind mm -hmm. of thing. And mm -hmm. while also, you know, just bringing publicity to awful new things that happen uh, and injustices that stem from this, I think people will find that. Uh, rather compelling and remind them that now the people that you're running against, it's not uh, immaterial, their views on these things, because they're no longer federal issues in the same way. Um, that could be compelling. But um, there's going to be a lot of pussy hats and <laughs> hysteria and yep, AOCs yeah. and Keith Olbermann, because there always is. Um, and, and, you know, it's we just a matter if you if you actually center them, to use the language of these people because they've had a problem of actually doing this. And you've seen the Biden administration um, buckling to the more extreme elements in the party uh, so many times. 
that you know it, it is incumbent upon them if if they want some free advice. Here is what here's what how I would approach this. Right, the two the 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 frame would be very simple. You have to address the elephant in the room. You have to address the biggest issue affecting Americans, which are gas prices and inflation. Mm-hmm. In in some cases, the you know the same thing. You would make the argument something like this. COVID was a unique experience. That's why we're in the position we're in now. The spending that helped cause this was precipitated by the Trump administration. And blame that. And then you can do your Putin thing, but blaming it all on Putin is a, is a losing strategy. It seems like you're, you're passing the buck. I, I don't know who is the billionaire, millionaire political consultant who actually says that this is a good idea. It's a stupid idea. Terrible. It's a bad idea. You have to do you know, test screenings. And why are they not getting a Frank Luntz type person to say, yeah, that doesn't work? You know, address it head on and then pivot. The second you address it head on, pivot to the point and you say, but do you want to, to this is, you know, inflation is going to go down. It's going down to make up some numbers, do, do the thing that they always do. But you, what you're doing is saying that the opposite version of this, to get us out of this, you are going to entrust the government to a cabal of mm. extremists a party that's been taken over by extremists and then cut to various members of the justice department the you know who look very serious they don't look like they you know they're men in suits they look like like fbi men saying this president was trying desperately to overturn the election and this is crazy then cut to people you know running into the capitol then cut to crazy shit that donald trump says this is an unhinged party it cannot be trusted it is full of people who can't be trusted. It's purging its party of people who are more moderate and more centrist. We are not that party. We are the party that you know is you know a rainbow coalition. Again, none of this is true. <laughs> I'm just saying that, that this is the argument that you make. You don't double down and say you know um, let's talk about gender. Let's talk about you know if, it, it shouldn't be the case that Matt says that if you work for Disney, you get five grand, that I can, you know, work at Disney, at, you know, fake an abortion, say, you know, I'm pregnant. And they'll be like, Michael Moynihan's being like, yes, how dare you question me? I'm going to get an abortion. <laughs> like, I want proof, like, excuse me? That's none of your business. And then she take the five grand. Like, that's the kind of thing that people kind of recoil from and they associate that with the Democratic Party. That's just what's happening right now. They need to get away from that and get back towards being, we're the sensible party, they're the psycho party. Yeah, but that's, like- That's the way of doing maybe, it. Maybe have a, a president who doesn't come out and have as his like whip inflation now uh, idea to say, Come on, gas companies! You gotta, oh, you gotta lower your prices. <laughs> I swear <laughs> to God, for a fucking quote this week, he gave it's a speech. Insane. He gave a speech that his idea about lowering gas prices is like pointing his finger in the camera and say, "I oil companies." You gotta lower your prices right now. It's weird that the gas right prices now. are gone way <laughs> through the roof in Europe, in Japan. There's like this is like the biggest <laughs> you know conspiracy and collusion I've ever seen in my life. Because they just all like you know it's just. Have you seen this meme by the way? The one that says that um, you know Exxon had made two billion in profit in 2021, and now they've made five billion in profit. Have you seen this? This yeah. is like everywhere now, and it's like yeah, economics is really complicated, but that's not what you th- that's not what you think it is. 
<laughs> they just decided now, like, okay, let's get greedy. Why weren't we greedy last year? Let's get greedy today, and let's just double the price. None of um, that. It is it's a lot of economic illiteracy, and Democrats should take advantage of it, like economic illiteracy, and use it to their advantage, and you know, make these crazy claims like that as they're doing, but make sure to blame Republicans for everything else in a smart way, and not be daft about but it. But you gotta you you gotta mix it with at least some policy that isn't crazy stupid and making the problem worse and they can't do it they can't it's like okay let's so what we're going to forgive some student loan debt uh we're definitely going to keep those tariffs over here including on the stuff that we want um let's see yeah. what else can we do uh we're going to ratchet send people money let's just give inflationary <laughs> you know, uh, gas tax holiday um that'll inflationary that'll do it it's, it's all true. over and over and over again but, and that's it and then just wave the <laughs> what is the actual solution to crash the economy. That's what they're actually going to do. You know, ratchet yeah. up 750,000 basis points, crash the economy. And, you know, will that help? I, I mean, in a way, it's, it's an overheated economy is going to be, get less hot. That's for sure. But that's when that's your solution. It's, the question sad. a moment ago was about whether or not the two parties, like there would be some moderation as a result of the what's developing here. I, I suppose the question that I am that I have rattling around in my brain is about voters and whether or not they're actually interested. And perhaps it's it's just kind of the the main trunk of the two parties, whether they're actually interested in more moderate candidates who are talking about complicated technical issues that don't have easy answers like inflation and kind of navigating our way, hopefully out of uh, a recession. Um, I suspect it's coming and it's just a matter of getting out of it. We're not there yet, but we'll see what happens. But at the moment, catastrophists in both parties have an obvious incentive to avoid those complicated conversations in favor of mm. like simpler culture war-esque arguments like anything that allows you to simply retreat into moral condemnations of the other side um seems to be particularly uh effective from a political standpoint and will garner you the the plaudits of like your your allies in the media to the extent you have them um and will probably generate like a pretty meaningful political following despite the fact that i i do imagine most Americans care about the fact that like prices are going up and that the, the mm -hmm. fact that they can buy less with their paycheck. Um, and if the Federal Reserve has its way, not only are interest rates going up, but they want to find a way to kind of freeze wage rates um, and make there be a little bit more pain now. Um, and, and I just don't even know how to measure whether or not voters are, are sort of changing their perspective on this. I mean, is it is that the case if they decide to to move away from Biden or whoever the hell runs in his place? It's just it's so hard to tell. If you bought crypto after reading a whole bunch of articles in this when it was two thousand dollars and it went up to sixty thousand dollars, you start to think of yourself as kind of an economic genius, right? Like, holy shit, I just did this and I made all this money. Uh, you know, I turned you know, five grand into, you know, $50,000, $100,000 or something. This is unfortunately what Republicans are suffering from right now is because the economy is being driven into the toilet and they're thinking that they're geniuses. They're thinking that like, oh my God, we can, I mean, Lauren Boebert's of the world, like, see, people like this stuff in any ordinary world. I don't think this stuff would be popular. I don't think Americans like fighting endless culture wars. People online do. 
but the average American mm -hmm. doesn't. And, and you're right, Camille, the thing that they care about, obviously, is po our pocketbook issues. And that's it. That's all they care about. But, you know, Republicans are making this huge mistake that once this, you know, once the red wave comes, presuming it does come, because, I mean, th there's a lot of unforced errors here. I mean, I think that part of that, too, is also overturning Roe is like, we're invincible. It's like, yeah, it's sort of, it took you 50 years to do it. It was very, very slow process. And in all of these kind of things lined up, it wasn't as if you put your troops in very specific places, did a pincer movement and destroyed the enemy. It just kind of happened in a lot of ways. I mean, there's some smart things about it. And, you know, I give them credit for doing this right things over, you know, to get that result, the right things over a long period of time. But I think that unfortunately, Republicans are getting overconfident and they think that, you know, I mean, you look at the kind of Rufos of the world and they're like, this is what people want. And, and I'm just going to keep going you know, deeper and deeper into this. It was about schools and now it's about drag queens. And then it was like, you know, they're not teaching enough about communism. And it's just this real like grab bag of, of, of like story ideas from the David Horowitz Freedom Center. You know, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is not what the average person is interested in. It's, I'm sorry. Uh, I just I don't think that this is a long term that this is viable as a long term ideology for for the Republican Party. It's it's not as simple as lowering taxes and you know things like that. It's a really favorable environment for anyone with an R on their chest, and yet uh, because of the way the candidates that have been rewarded in some places, uh, particularly yeah. in the Midwest, um, uh, in Arizona, that, that have leaned more Trumpy, um, they might lose. In 2018, Fetterman yeah. uh, it looks like uh, he has a pretty. And I, he, I don't know if he can even talk. But he's, I think he's dead. I think he died. <laughs> I think he died this morning. Uh, you know, uh, in Pennsylvania, in <laughs> Ohio, in Arizona. I mean, uh, Democrats are close to, uh, I think, uh, getting uh, close to state house control in uh, in Arizona, which is unheard of, seriously yeah. unheard yeah. of. Um, and so, like, that's not. The you know the, there hasn't been really great candidate selection and and you're right Moynihan exactly <laughs> right like uh, like they they thought that they are responsible for it their prettiness and they're about to the overreach is it's just going to be uh, incredible to watch um, and people mm -hmm. who forget which is everybody all the time that American politics being a two party system is a pendulum mm -hmm. that always swings it's always going in one direction or the other regardless of who is on the team and how fancy you think that they are or unfancy. Um, yeah. And you have not just uh, the overreach, you have a little bit of row stuff, but the January 6th stuff is going to peel some people um, uh, uh, who are uh, outraged by the way that that looks. And there's the X factor of Trump. My current prediction, which I don't know if I voiced here uh, outside of my own uh, uh, terrible head, um, is that Trump would be an insane person to run against, so therefore I guess he might. But uh, but it's like um, he—I mean—he lost to Biden, and he's not suddenly gotten more popular. Mm -hmm. This is the, this. Is, hang on, that for one second, yeah. because people tend to forget this. He lost. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was the weird thing when I was doing that piece about the Texas GOP. That because of the conspiracy theories about the election, I couldn't actually engage anyone in the argument about you're backing a horse that's already lost. Do you want to back a losing horse? Because of the conspiracy theories, they just say, "Well, no, he didn't lose." It's, I mean, literally everybody I talked to said that. I mean, it was across the state. Nobody believed except for one guy that I, literally one person I spoke to, and he was a student. And he was the head of the, the you know, young Republicans or something at, at UT Austin. But that's the thing. I mean, 
and combined with, you know, what I was saying, you know, there's, there's 50 men in the bar and one like unattractive woman. And they're all like, all right, I guess that's it. <laughs> she's like, I, and she thinks she's, I'm so beautiful. I everyone loves me. No, they don't. You're the only one there. Come on. <laughs> Stop thinking when inflation is 75,000% and it costs $40 million to fill up your car in your cryptocurrency is worth nothing that like that person who's, you know, uh, in the other party is going to save you because they're the only other option. Come on now, let's be serious. Because mostly, I mean, the, the, the most appalling thing about, about this is make the argument, I mean, the mainstream Republicans should make the argument, if there are any left, that the policies of Donald Trump, the economic policies of Donald Trump were ruinous and created this situation. Now, Joe Biden is exacerbated because he, you know, he tripled down on it and said, let's spend 50 times more. But, you know, the, the, you know, I was listening to Larry Summers, I told you guys mm -hmm. about this about two months ago. He did an, uh, a podcast with Ezra Klein. It is unbelievable. I mean, it's truly unbelievable. I mean, you have to listen to it because it's, Ezra Klein is so sad. And he's like, you know, you were right. And I just think that, like, why is it happening that we give everybody everything and we need to give them more? And that's what we all want, but it's causing all this inflation. And it's, really bad. <laughs> it's like, he's like, tell me that this isn't true. And Larry Summers is like, it's totally true. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this. And he's like, I wish it wasn't true, but it is true. It is like literally someone, you know, you hear someone's, the scales falling during an interview. And like, I mean, as Larry Summers points out in that interview and has since, of the things that you could do in the short term, um, rolling back those Trump tariffs would help. Yes. Because you bring cheaper goods into America pretty quickly, right? And guess what? The Biden administration is doing nothing. I mean, I think they're entertaining it now. There's been some talk about, but why was this not done six months ago? Why was this not done eight months ago? I mean, this is fucking crazy. 18. 18. I mean, yeah, that 18. Jesus. I mean, this is a disaster. And, you know, he just will not, in that party will not, they, they cannot do the triangulation Clinton thing and say, all right, we need to be, you know, we were, we were tacking towards being like more of the social democratic than the democratic party. You got to move away from that right now. If you want to, if you want to, you know, remain in power, you got to do it. And, and, and look, the only reason that, that you're even competitive is because you're running against psychos like a whole slate of psychos. I mean, it's true. I'm sorry, but it's true. Biden gave a speech uh, last week in front of the AFL-CIO and it didn't get any coverage because why would you cover Biden? And I get that. Um, <laughs> but like at it, he was complaining that people were blaming him um, and his administration on uh, for inflation. Uh, he's like, wait, they say that it was government spending. That's a lie, man. Um, <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> and just saying all this crazy nonsense of like how he's going to fight inflation. And that's why we have to make sure that um, every single uh, job in the infrastructure bill uh, is uh, pays a prevailing wage uh, in every case. And we also have to get rid of right to work uh, laws. Uh, and so that we pay the workers more money. Um, and then we, have we should force everybody to unionize on the bridge that goes to nowhere. And we have to make sure that there's a minimum corporate uh, tax rate because that's going to get us out of inflation once and for mm -hmm. all. It's really going to cut down prices when corporations have to charge more money to their customers. I mean, and and like that's 
it's all like that all the time. If you yeah. go to whitehouse.gov and just start looking at the transcripts of things that he says and just put it through a little calculator in your own brain saying, uh, um, how is this going to help inflation, bring down inflation? You will immediately go crazy. Uh, it'll just. I, I really implore you to listen to Larry Summers thing uh, with Ezra Klein because the weird thing about it is that it, it is that tension, exactly what you're talking about, what you see on whitehouse.gov, what you hear coming out of Joe Biden's mouth. And it is Larry Summers who has been hated by so many sort of liberal economists and people like Paul, Paul Krugman over the years, and but he keeps on being right and he keeps on trying to hold on to these things. He's like, you know, I too, Ezra, want this, want that, want that. And he keeps on like these, I, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal. And he's like, hey, I support all these Keynesian uh, policies. And then he's like, but, and then the next five minutes is none of them work. And right now we have to run away from them. And there's no counter argument from the host who's desperate to be, you know, the ultra Keynesian. It's just wild to, to, to listen to. And I don't know what they're afraid of. I mean, I know they're afraid of their voters. I know they're afraid of the left flank of, of their party. But at what cost? Because, you know, everyone is taking a pay cut right now. You're talking about we need, we need higher wages for this. Your, your administration is overseeing an 8% pay cut in everyone. For everybody, you know, you're making less money now than you were a year ago, uh, considerably less. Uh, it's noticeable. And I just don't know what the, the, what the solution is. And they're not, I mean, excuses, is, that's not a future. That's not a policy to say, this is who's responsible. Putin's responsible. It's the corporations that are making all this money are responsible. Okay, let's pretend all of that's true. I mean, Putin is true in when it comes to gas prices. It's definitely affecting. But let's pretend it's true. What are you going to do about it? What's the next thing? I mean, Democrats have been running against Donald Trump for mm -hmm. so long that they don't know how to put affirmative policies forward. They only know how to run against something. And this is just not help, helpful to anybody. I think it's mostly because the Biden administration is a defensive crouch. I mean, you even have the, the president's press secretary in the, in the last two That's weeks right, yeah. saying explicitly in response to challenges about what they're going to do on the economy, uh, on the economy and the president's track record on the, with respect to the economy, saying, well, you know, Americans have never been more confident. Like we've seen surveys that, that suggest that they're very confident in their own sort of economic position, it at was. least, you know, in no. 2021, you know, we, we, we put ourselves in a good position. I've seen, I've seen folks, even um, a, a column in Vox, you know, that was you know probably from a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about uh, the fact that Biden's Biden's um, uh, American what was it the American Recovery um, Act? Is that what it was? Mm. What was it called? Probably, yeah, there's been a bunch yeah, of them. But, yeah, but, yeah. but the 1.5 trillion dollar one um, that it's at least partly yeah. responsible for the inflation that we're seeing now, and that's kind of broadly acknowledged by almost everyone. Was that the one that Biden. was initially supposed to be five trillion? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even keep big. track anymore. Yeah. It was initially like, why not ten trillion? I don't know. Why not forty trillion? I think Just give money build, to everybody. The Build Back Better was uh, was supposed to be three point four trillion. If only, if only they did that in the Green New Deal, that would that would certainly get us out of the the problems that we're currently in. Yeah, I mean, all the homeless people would be sleeping under solar panels. It'd be amazing. 
It'd be, it'd be so it'd be so perfect. Everyone would be so happy. But maybe maybe we should talk a little bit about <laughs> uh, the January sixth stuff before we get out of here because there there have been uh, continuing ongoing hearings uh, this week. Uh, it looks like they're they've extended and plan to do additional uh, hearings, although it's not clear how many more. But they've gotten some some unexpectedly uh, mm. hit upon some additional video footage as which is footage that is part of a documentary that is going to be released by discovery that, yeah that British yeah, guy who's Alex, called Alex Holder who went in and testified and apparently all of the footage from this film has been subpoenaed we don't know a great deal about what's happened um, with respect to his testimony or what to expect, but we do know that some of this stuff has begun uh, making its way into the into the media. He's done a couple of interviews and CNN had some um, exclusive clips. So we were actually able to see a few things. Mike Pence um, sitting at a table getting some sort of message. <laughs> and then he went to the bathroom and he said to himself, I killed them all. That's a genius <laughs> reference, by the way. Because it turned out that that was not entirely true, that we saw in a court case that the jinx where Robert Durst comes out and says, I killed them all with, on a hot mic. It wasn't exactly how it happened. So you have to be skeptical about how these things Well, that's just it. it. I mean, it, it seems a little odd. I mean, it's already the case that the January 6th commission, we should definitely talk about sort of the biggest the biggest news of the week, which is that you have the, the Justice Department and a Looping in investigators going into the home of an intelligence official who President Trump talked about making the head of a department. Yeah, he was an FBI. He was a, an FBI official. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he was sympathetic to Trump's position uh, that the election had been rigged. Mm -hmm. But the guy had no credentials whatsoever. Uh, didn't have the support of no. the rank no. and file and ultimately was unable to secure that position. And he had never prosecuted a case either. But what we did find out that he was, he was uh, according to one White House call log, he was um, uh, appointed or, or, or identified as the acting, I, I can't remember the exact title, but if you watch the hearings, which by the way, I have to say, have, have been very, very interesting uh, recently, and I don't, there's some, you know, what more are we going to learn was the question I think we were all asking before. And there has been some, some interesting stuff in the past, in the past week, particularly uh, the shenanigans at the FBI and the, the true desperation. I still don't think it, it is something that is uh, coordinated uh, in a sense that, you know, there was one grand plan. There was just a desperate president um, and his um, idiotic friends. Uh, that were trying to help him out. And I think one of the most interesting things with a number of people, according to, uh, I, I guess it was Mark Meadows' chief of staff or somebody in Mark Meadows' staff who was interviewed and uh, gave a list of the people who had called her mm -hmm. to talk to Mark Meadows about getting a pardon, a blanket pardon, which is something that usually happens when you've done something wrong. Right. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Those are people like Matt Gates requesting, uh, yeah. requesting a pardon in connection with um, in, in some instances anyways, because it sounds like Gates had been asking for a pardon since early in December. And part of the difficulty here to, to, to kind of zero in on the way that the hearings are being conducted, some of the testimony is people who are in the room who are being asked questions directly and you get all of that. But in other instances, the January yep. 6th committee will show you clips of testimony. There's sort of selective, selectively, obviously, clips of testimony, and you don't know what the sort of surrounding context is. They, they kind of give it to you, but you don't necessarily have a transcript of the rest of what was said. Um, and when you already have a process that isn't 
adversarial in any sort of meaningful sense. Um, you've got Democrats and you've got a couple, a pair actually, of Republicans who are very much inclined towards the same perspective. Yeah, Cheney like, and Kinsinger, yeah. It, it makes for a, a rather odd dynamic. So in one instance, she says, you know, Gates has been asking for um, a, a pardon, a blanket pardon. Well, was he asking for that because he had some other legal troubles? Because he did. Um, and also folks were asking for pardons for participating in this meeting. Um, but this meeting was wild, widely reported on at the time. And if you go back and look at accounts of what was going on in this meeting, was, they were yeah. pretty transparent about what they were trying to do. They were they were hoping to exhaust every legal remedy. There is some new details around like the slates of electors um, that they talked about. But even that was reported on at the time and generally kind of poo-pooed and regarded as uh, a sort of out there perspective. There were even Republicans who said about the meeting at the time that that thing is going nowhere. Like <laughs> this is this is a ridiculous scheme like that couldn't possibly work being led by malcontents. So there's I think a lot of Republicans said that throughout yeah. the whole process. But it's important to keep and we're saying the to stay, and say we're saying to stay away from that as well. Um, so yeah, obviously yeah. this is foul. It's it's beyond uncouth for the president of the United States to be doing this, uh, for the president of the United States to be looking to, to um, instigate uh, a Justice Department investigation into the election, to look into the most like outrageous, completely unsubstantiated charges. Um, at the same time, it seems pretty obvious that at least so far, that in terms of like a criminal prosecution of like Donald Trump, that is beyond the realm of possibility. And there's a very real sense in which that investigatory process related to what was happening in those meetings and who knew what when is very different than what happened on January 6th. Events of January 6th, the the people who who gathered, but specifically the violence on Capitol Hill and whether or not there was some kind of coordinated plan to overthrow the government that involved those violent actors. It just seems like there's a sense in which it's it's kind of a distraction from a more meaningful, substantive conversation about some of these issues with respect to what the president was doing around the election. I have a sense that Matt, Matt is going to disagree with this, but I I actually do agree with you because I see Matt Matt I, I suspect no, just, he does. Uh, dumb, yeah, but I, dumb, I, I would just I, I will say this. <laughs> Two things about it. What you said at the beginning is right. Is that it is unidirectional, but that is the fault of Republicans. They in, wouldn't in participate. Part. They in didn't part. take. It was it was by it was by design. Like, Democrats didn't want them well, to to participate and did everything they could to make it a, they, a, sort of poisonous. Yes, but they they walked right into that trap and they they walked into the trap that the Venezuelan opposition did when they decided not to participate in elections and it really fucked them up for years because they said, look, we're going to actually you know, we're going to prove a point. It's like you could have been more effective participating because those out of context clips you could you know mow mow that and poo poo all the things that said but you could probably keep it a little more mm -hmm. in focus you can make the case that all of this is part of the same you know idea which is to to overthrow the election and you know this is the ultimately right this is going to we're going to send a mob up to um, prevent the certification of the election. The thing is, though, is that you have to start there and you have to prove that this was a coordinated attempt by the president and by the president's minions to send people up there to do that. Do, is, is that true? I'm not sure. I don't believe it's true. 
but nothing's nothing. I, I've seen a lot of very suggestive things, but I haven't seen a plan other than a guy who has a few screws loose, but also happened to be the president, um, you know, and enjoys anybody, any crowd that is, you know, baying for blood and on his side. That is something different, right? It's just saying like, yes, let's support these people who are there. I think it's more than that. I think there's a lot of evidence that, you know, he precipitates all of his actions, but to keep it like now we're in a point where it's like, okay, let's do the TikTok of what he did after. So this is no longer the January 6th commission. It's the overthrow the election commission, which is, you know, I mean, I'm fine. If that's it. I no, no, I, I, no, I, I agree. It is, it is related, but it, I think it was sold as, you know, what the events of that day, who was responsible was there was there coordination? Was there coordination from the from the White House via Roger Stone, via the Proud Boys and the mm -hmm. Oath Keepers? And was there a conspiracy so vast? That's what I'm interested in because, as Camille pointed out, a lot of this stuff has been reported before. Yeah, um, I particularly mean, those meetings. I, th so. I think that there's some value in um, in tying it together for those of us who stop paying attention to this, like in January. You know, whenever the impeachments stopped and Biden was yeah. sworn in, um, I've been paying attention to other things uh, just to move on individually. <laughs> um, no, but like just in general, like well, it's certainly it's certainly jogging my memory to a lot of things too. Yeah, so yeah, it is effective. There's some way, there's yeah. some value in that. Um, uh, I feel like it's. I'm glad that there, this is not like a prosecution. You know, I'm glad this is not pointing in the direction of. Uh, of Trump and those people being prosecuted. And and in many ways, the thing that I'm most queasy about is the extent to which prosecution has been used mm -hmm. to paint this informational picture. I like the informational picture. Um, I say that as someone who has consumed zero of it in the past week, so um, take that for what it is. But um, when I've seen bits of it, it's yes, it's completely one sided. Uh, it's like even double one sided, not just in terms of largely a partisan tilt. But uh, as Camille Riley points out, we're seeing 15 seconds from a two hour interview and we're seeing none of the rest and not getting the transcripts. Um, and they had a whole bunch of subpoena power to get that to begin with. So it's super loaded, people. It's the prosecutor prosecutor's case um, for a non prosecution. Um, but the result is information, and I like in information. It's a nice thing to have, and there's something actually more healthy about it. I mean, remember during all the impeachments and the Mueller investigation, all that kind of stuff, um, the heavy breathing was always like, mm -hmm. you know, you get the little toy cannon out. Like this is this is this is the one. This is going to be the boom, and then the, finally, just like whenever they're talking about the Southern District in New York, whatever of the seventy-five cases they have in front of uh, that Trump's involved with, like this is the one. It's going to finally get him to jail. Take that off the table um, as the drama, um, and instead, like get information about stuff. And I find that part interesting, and I think it's it's legitimate uh, as part of that to look yes at the uh, at the chaos on January 6th, but also the lead up and the, the other things. I don't I don't think that there's some kind of um, what is the word that you uh, used, uh, Camille, like it's a distraction to figure out what happened on January 6th by doing some of what they've done here. I, I guess I don't see that. I don't understand well, why I, that would be a distraction. If I thought they were trying to figure, if I thought they were meaningfully trying to figure it out versus trying to sort of stitch together like a broader conspiracy for which there does not seem to be a great deal of evidence. Um, you know, over well, overcharging I mean, like, like, like four um four oath keepers and a handful of like, proud boys, even even guys who like weren't there on the day, 
okay, you know. I think that's, yeah, I agree with you. That's totally the worst part of it. And it's underplayed and almost nobody has complained about this uh, or raised it as a question. This would be the type of thing where, um, you know, you would have old, uh, uh, what's his face, the uh, uh, Nat Hentoff would be railing about the prosecutions in the nation. Um, and he'd be like the lonely civil liberties lefty. Uh, talking about the overprosecution, but we don't really have that sense anymore of people looking into that. You're just on one team or another, and then you don't care otherwise. I think that that is really the the most uh, uh, questionable and least um, looked at aspect of that. Um, but I think the informational thing is still has yeah, value. And, and I'm say. I, I actually um, agree with you on that. I'm I'm agreeing on the informational bit. I'm I'm suggesting that there's a sense in which some of the overstatement. Uh, suggests to me that they're they're probably going to do a less good job than they might have done otherwise when it comes to actually trying to figure out what were the kind of nature of the shenanigans that the president was engaged in with respect to the the election itself. Um, and I think even even the entry of the this kind of documentary content into the record actually raises a few red flags in the sense that this filmmaker is making particular claims. Um, about you know what what Mike Pence was actually looking at in the footage, claims that um, someone like Jake Tapper like takes a look at later and says, yeah, it doesn't quite seem right. But in a non-adversarial um, hearing where you have this filmmaker coming in and making claims that are slightly more sensational or a lot more sensational than what is actually true, like is there even any possibility that someone will push back in a context like that on the the most sensational claim? No, there isn't. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 no, and that's a problem. And and again, I you know blame Republicans for this, and they they should have, they should have um, you know bit the bullet and and participated. But they were standing on principle, and it's going to bite them in the ass in the end. But but to the broader point is everybody suffers in this. That we'll find out about this later because this stuff is not going to be under lock and key forever. Um, but we'll right now we have to take the word for it. Uh, considering these are small clips and they're not, I mean, they should put these entire interviews up for everybody to watch. They should put them all up. I mean, they should, I don't, I don't know when, I don't know, but, but it's not a prosecution. Uh, you, if, if it's informational, give us the information, put it all up there. Let us all watch it. And it's not and a grand can, jury, right? So there's no, yeah, and it's not, there's yeah. no like a, 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 a reasonable expectation of secrecy on your testimony. No, no. There isn't. Um, there might be something. I wish Damon was still here that that that, that would cover that, but I don't think there is. No. Um, and I don't know what deals they made with these people, but I mean, this stuff is. It can't be anything substantial if there's. Oh, we're going to give some of it can be public, and 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 the rest of it won't be. I mean, these are essentially act as depositions, and they're all up. You should. I just. We should have access to all of them, and I think it would be. You know, let journalists go after them. You know, I mean, I I know that most of them are quite happy with the presentation as it is because probably comes to conclusions that they would come to too but i don't know what else is in there but uh but we i know see meadows and scabino uh the 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 doj declined to charge um but navarro um was charged for contempt of congress um for mm. just and, and arrested actually right um was there was someone else who was arrested, right? Steve Bannon. Steve, I think, Steve right? Bannon was charged. Yeah. yeah, but there's there's obviously been a few Trump loyalists who found themselves in trouble for deciding not to comply. So it, yeah, I I don't know. It's all a little weird. Look, I, 
I mean, Republicans made a mistake of not participating and Democrats made mistakes uh, for the past five years in pursuing these allegations in the Russiagate mm -hmm. stuff that kind of, you know, hurt their credibility. When you have, you know, these these big shows every year and they don't add up to much in the end. There's a lot of stuff that's like really unnerving. But the thing about the Trump administration and the Trump years is that we got used to unnerving in 2017, 2018. I mean, we got so inured to this stuff that you really got to make the case to get people's attention these days. And little bits here and there uh, to people like us who pay, pay attention to stuff, I find it all pretty appalling. And I've always found Donald Trump appalling, but I think this stuff is 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 very very like the stuff that I watched the other day from the FBI guys, who came off mm -hmm. really well, you know. And there's a lot to be said about how bad the FBI has has comported itself over the past hundred years, and and even in the past two years. But you know, the the testimony was was pretty jarring, and um, so in that sense, I, I think the mission accomplished. Yeah. And good, good idea on that day to not let Adam Schiff speak. If you want, <laughs> if you want to like convince oh anyone, I mean, holy shit! How many, how many times has he come out there and said, "We have the evidence. This is the one. This is the big one." Uh, I mean, you he's like the he's like the forever rich. <laughs> yeah, he's like I have the text documents of sub 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 company from like 1978. You're not going to persuade yeah. people with Adam Schiff. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. No. So all right. All right. Um, Moynihan, do you have anything else to say about, about Jewel? Are you just happy that the appellate court has decided to, to put in a stay and maybe stave off disaster? For well, a I was while? happy to hear that. I didn't yeah. know that because it seems pretty targeted to one company that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, do anything differently than other companies. And a matter of fact, they have responded to the government every time the government has turned the screws on them. And this started uh, during the Trump administration. They should be blamed for this too. And uh, they have, they responded by taking all the flavors off the market of doing, you know, not taking away all advertising mm -hmm. and things like that and essentially ruining their products, right? I mean, they destroyed their brands. I mean, there are people, everybody that I know that was switched to e-cigarettes or to vaping to quit smoking um, no longer uses Juul. I always, I'm always, I always think it's like watching somebody put a cassette into a VCR when I see somebody smoking a Juul. It's like, oh, that old thing that I used to have. It's gone away. But the thing about it is that it, there's nothing, there's no story, no public health story that I have seen covered in a more dishonest fashion than this one. It is absolutely shocking the way this has been covered by the media. And the way this has been covered, I mean, not even covered, by addressed by public health officials. Um, some are great, um, like uh, Michael Siegel, who is a professor, was a professor at BU and is now a professor at Tufts, uh, was a big enemy of the tobacco companies, testified against them in the 90s and that big push against big tobacco, and is a great supporter of uh, vaping as a smoking cessation device. And has, you know, he is, he's done an amazing, amazing job. And he has a blog in which he goes over all of these bullshit studies because they come out here and there that say vaping does X, Y, and Z. And he just points out every time there's literally no evidence for this. They just, they, they not even making it up there. It's just it makes no sense. And, you know, as he said, and a bunch of other people have said, if every person on earth switch to Juul tomorrow, 
we would save millions of lives, millions of lives. And, and I, I think that's undeniable. And, you know, the public health authorities in England have actually supported, said, you know, you should, if you're trying to quit smoking, you should start vaping. Uh, the public health authorities in this country have treated cigarette uh, vaping as worse than smoking sometimes yeah. and literally said it on a few occasions that it could be worse than a combustible cigarette, which is so mm. demented that the person who uttered that should be ashamed of themselves and fired from whatever job they hold. I can't remember the person, but it is appalling the things that people say. And there was a recent study that actually Siegel uh, pointed out was a good longitudinal longitudinal study about, I think, heart disease. And you know, the, it was like a 40% decrease uh, from people who started vaping and uh, people who continued smoking. And there's a lot of evidence of this stuff. But they do the thing that they've always done. They say it's about kids. You know, it's always kids. And they're flavors that are supposed to attract kids and adults who like flavors. I've said this a million times. Everybody likes flavors. <laughs> flavors are delicious. You, de you don't turn 25 and be like, you know what? I don't like flavors anymore. Yeah. Things that are delicious no longer interest me. I like it when it tastes like garbage. No, it was a great thing for people who are trying to quit smoking that not only did, did, you know, it's very hard to go back to cigarettes, by the way, when the thing that you're inhaling and getting your nicotine uh, from actually is tastes pleasant. And then you go back and cigarettes taste so disgusting that that is actually a way of helping people quit smoking is having things taste pretty good. In this war that it, it is, it is, you know, for people who pretend to care about science is one that has disregarded all the science and has made things up, literally just made things up and has gone after Juul, one company, one company only, um, because they were successful and left all the others to be. And by the way, New York, great job. I want to give New York an enormous amount of credit. They banned flavored uh, e-cigarette uh, va vaping products for, for um, nicotine, banned them. You cannot get them except for I go and get them every day. When I'm in the city, every bodega has them. Every you have to just ask them under the counter. It's not just uh, ask them over the counter. It's every bodega uh, in our neighborhood. Um, and my God, in uh, in Williamsburg, where uh, uh, the youngest goes swimming, is a vape shop. It's just, yeah. a, I mean, like every window, these places just would sell crap before. Now the entire window display at at least a half a dozen bodegas within a, a five minute walk mm -hmm. of where I'm, I'm standing. Uh, it, it's, it's a vape shop. Um, mm -hmm. And, and they're selling because it's all a gray market too. Um, uh, uh, because a lot of these vaping companies, they haven't been explicitly prohibited by the FDA or whatever, but they haven't been approved either. Um, and so they, they're sort of operating here. So wonderful gray market here with like pockets of cash lying around. Mm. One of our listeners is a, a cop in New York City, and we were exchanging uh, DMs about various things, and uh, and says that's just a huge source of uh, robbery right now, right? Um, vape shops that are not just selling vapes, but they're selling edibles um, that are easy mm -hmm. to get, and they're selling them to kids, uh, teens like crazy. Uh, his uh, point was like, um, right now, if you want to uh, crack down on crime in in, in some parts of New York, what you want to do is is have cops when the school bell rings and in the parks afterwards, um, because that's like people are going for it in ways because uh, juveniles are no longer being prosecuted. Um, you have all this gray market and black market vape and edibles everywhere. Nobody's enforcing kind of anything. Um, so mm -hmm. like it's a it's a slap on the wrist. It's a ticket. Uh, basically, if you catch a bodega selling an edible to a 
I don't know, 13 year old. Um, (laughs) uh, So like uh, just it's all flourishing and this is and you're going to make it much more of a black market now everywhere in Mm -hmm. the country for the safe thing. Mm -hmm. For the safe thing. And, and, And you're going to do the thing that I find incredibly gross, disgusting, and sometimes it's it's clarified two paragraphs down, usually it's not, is the conflation of people who died of vaping when they were vaping uh, black market THC products that were homemade and being sold at vape stores. You know when they're not homemade, by the way, is when they're approved by the FDA and they're regulated, mm-hmm. but people died and, and you know the deaths from vaping are mentioned in these th- these stories about Juul. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again, is that, you know, that's like saying, you know, people were drinking and they died. And it turns out they were drinking Clorox. It's not the act of vaping. It's not the act of drinking. It's what they were fucking drinking. So they say because vaping is one thing to all of these halfwits and is coming to get your children, is that they, they, they combine all this stuff and say, see? And if you actually had a case, you would not be mentioning the illegal weed vapes that were killing people in a story about Juul. You'd be talking about the jewels that killed people. Not to mention, and as Matt mentions, this, you know, the black market, we will never learn our lesson mm. of the drug war. And people who hate the drug war, and you can't get them to agree because they know it's, uh, you know, it's racist and it's terrible. And whatever. There's a million things about the drug war that you can say, they'll all say. And if you talk to some, you know, mom from Park Slope and, you know, mention vaping, like, oh, it's terrible. It's an epidemic. We have to, you know, ban all this stuff and then create the black market. And, you know, if you want to talk about race, because we, we try to get into everything, uh, how did Eric Garner die? People tend to forget mm-hmm. that, right? He was selling Lucy's, which are illegal to sell in, 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 in New York. How about you just make it legal? You're selling a single cigarette. What's wrong with that? Oh, that's bad. You can't sell single cigarettes. That's just illegal. You can sell the whole packs. And by the way, in all of this, Juul, et cetera, they're banned. They will be banned. Well, the, hopefully the judge will stop this. But at the moment, the government wants to ban them. The thing that kills people is legal. Cigarettes kill people. There's no dispute about this. You smoke them, you die. You smoke them a long time, you die. I mean, you can, you can cheat the devil in this a couple of times if you're lucky. But they're bad for you. I don't think they should be banned, but they're bad for you. That one's on the market. The one that helps you stop smoking the thing that will kill you is illegal. It's it's absolute lunacy, and you cannot believe people that are, are this fucking stupid. And you know, what was the PJ Arrow quote? You know, giving money and power to government is like giving whiskey and car car keys to a teenager. <laughs> it's it's that you know. It's why do we believe what we believe? Because this is what they do. This is what the geniuses in in Washington D.C. do. So fuck them. Amen. Reading the denial release is kind of astonishing. Like to date, the FDA has not received clinical information to suggest an immediate hazard associated with the use of jewel devices or jewel pods. However, <laughs> however, the marketing denial order however, by the issued way. today reflects FDA's determination that there is insufficient evidence to assess the potential toxicological risks of using the jewel products. Um, but then it goes on to say that there. Um, 
is no way of knowing the harm of using the unauthorized third-party pods with the jewel. Of course, the third-party pods that people are using because you won't let them use the other ones. Or this is, this is correct. Or yes. Using, yes, which I was buying for a while. Yeah, or using yeah. jewel pods yeah. with a non-jewel device, which, I mean, don't do that. Like the, the fact that there might be risks associated with like using products in ways that you're not supposed to use them, like seems like a very bizarre reason for the FDA to cite when they're but, but they're also this, saying it's totally that you shouldn't use the things that we created. Yes. Yeah. The reason that these bootleg jewel pods exist is because you've banned the flavored ones. Yeah. So they guess what? They made bootleg versions of them. We don't know what's in them. <laughs> did you know it was in the jewel pods? Yes, you did. It's owned by a huge corporation. I went to their office one time in San Francisco and interviewed the founders of it. I have to, I have to pull that interview out. Um, but yeah, like it's amazing to say, like, can you believe this horrible thing that people are consuming that we are forcing them to consume? It's yeah. madness. I hate them all. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully next week uh, when we get together to record again, whenever that is, um, the Supreme Court will still be standing. I'm looking at uh, some some footage of people in the streets angrily chanting, uh, if we don't get it, burn it down. Mm. Uh, I suspect they mean that metaphorically mm-hmm. um, and not literally, mm-hmm. because if they did, then they would be, you know, I don't know, dangerous insurrectionists or something like that. That's what we say. Did you see Edward Snowden tweet the, uh, the kind of game. fake MLK quote about riots being the the voice of the the language of the is that right or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Weirdly, he didn't he didn't tweet that when Russians were uh, protesting the war in Ukraine. I don't know why. Don't know why. It was not the language of the oppressed at that moment. But I don't know. Do it when there's no risk. Um, yeah, that's not, if you want to look at the full quote, that's not what he says. And Martin Luther King was not a supporter of rioting. <laughs> He's quite yeah. explicit about it. I, uh, I so. just want to say before we leave that, uh, this just in deal reached on plan for more than $9 billion in gas refunds to California drivers. They agreed the refunds to taxpayer to offset high gas prices and inflation. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's happening. It's happening. Matt, is, is, tell me what it is, but that there's there's environmental regulations in California that make gas prices, what, $2 higher than the rest of the country? Yeah, like a lot close to it. I think there was a $7 gas in California when there's $5 gas uh, in, yeah, in, in the U.S. Uh, emissions, um, it's very difficult uh, to uh, even have a gas station I'm, the few times I've, I've driven a car to or from uh, San Francisco, like trying to get gas before you leave is really hard there's like three gas stations i can tell you where they all are uh right now so yeah there's but a lot of traffic in la doesn't seem to be preventing that uh no it doesn't i mean it's it's point to point and it's a horizontal city um what, what are you maybe do? maybe i have an idea mm. no one's thought of this i have an idea high speed rail uh their idea for a while, and i'm sure we've been uh, we've been doing this uh, podcast for long enough uh that I, I must have mentioned it at least once and i'm trying to think of i'm blanking on the term of art but their basic idea was the best way to help both the environment and traffic is to reduce the number of lanes what who said that? Yeah, yeah, no, no. It was, that was the 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 there was a um uh, is a California idea. They they did this. God, what's the term of art? It's it's so great. Um, was that the guy who also suggested banning jewel ponds? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> getting rid of lanes, trying to to filibuster. 
Um, Are you trying to find the person who was responsible for this? I mean, this genius idea was never put into place, right? I mean, no, it was. It was like in places where road diets. That's what they call road diet. A road diet. Road diet. That's pretty. That's a term of art. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So if we have road diets, then that's going to encourage people to take bikes. And therefore, it's going to uh, not just be better for the environment, but it's going to uh, reduce traffic. So we will reduce traffic by reducing the number of lanes of cars. And they made, mm-hmm. they did this in lots of places uh, in, in mm-hmm. LA. That's the way they think. Anytime someone says, hey, um, maybe you shouldn't have three lanes on the Interstate 5 um, throughout Southern California, um, because if you just like had four or five lanes on that, um, they maybe wouldn't be so crowded. They're like, oh, you know, um, if you build more lanes, that just encourages more traffic. So. Um, this is this is an argument, an adult argument about uh, um, throughput uh, in the city of angels and has been for decades. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, before we leave tonight, I want to tell you that you can stop listening to this podcast um, sometime in the future. Oh, uh, it, 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 not in the near future, <laughs> yeah. because this podcast it, it, it thrives on the fact that everyone in America seems to be a fucking moron, <laughs> and <laughs> because of the high quotient of fucking morons uh we do the show we do it for you because everyone's a fucking idiot and that's what i realize when i do a bit of reading for what are we gonna talk about tonight and it's like oh my god everyone's fucking ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> it's really depressing i think it's taking years off my life to realize that these people exist it but, is you know, it is funny anyway. I, I i looked at edward snowden's um twitter feed because you mentioned it um when and he also has tweeted this gallup poll that has been making the rounds about competence in the Supreme Court hitting a new low. Mm-hmm. But that's just bringing the Supreme Court in line with so many other celebrated mm-hmm. institutions yeah. like Congress. <laughs> Everything but the military uh, gets really shitty marks. Public schools, uh, source of our, or at least the scene of our cult- current culture war um, excesses. Similarly, not a lot of confidence there either. But, you know, whatever. Although people always rate their own kids school very high yes this is typically the case yeah, they do the like same healthcare. thing with their with their congress people <laughs> I love my health care everybody yeah. else sucks yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know all right. whatever all right well we let's get out of here bye 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 bye, bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack the trojan horse